in New London, where we have the Harvard Yale Boathouse, there's this naval base like down by the bridge near the start, and there's the U.S. Atlantic submarine fleet. And so every time we row past, there's like these gunboats that go along, like side, like pretty much training the gun at you, making sure you don't go too close. But we, Harry and I, we, like it was like our first session out, and we're like, oh, we'll just paddle up to the sub base and back. And so we go, we're like wobbling along. It's like pretty, pretty washy, and it was like it was a bit calmer around there. So we're like doing a few bursts, and then suddenly one of the there's a boat coming up river really quickly, and we're like, oh, what's going on there? And like the machine gun boat is suddenly there with a guy on the front of it. And he's like firing the machine gun at this boat, which is like swerving up the river. And we're sitting there in the pair being like, is this like World War Three starting? <laughs> hey, what is up? Welcome to Last Show Counts. Today's guest is a three-time under-23 world champion and co-founder of Federer and Square. Please welcome Miles Beeson to the podcast. Hello, thank you for having me, guys. Thanks for coming. Uh, not too far. Uh, we've, we've come out to you again. Uh, we, were, we were working down in, uh, at the British Rowing Lake uh, in Caversham today, so we've um, stopped by on Henley on the way back, which is, which is always an awesome place to be. So, like we were saying before, like, if you're building a set for a own podcast, it would it would look something like this, I think. Yeah, yeah. And then also you said that your car's up in Scotland, so that would be a bit of a roundabout way to go and get it and then to drive to Oxford. So. <laughs> oh, exactly. I only just passed my test as well, which is pretty embarrassing, I think. There's no like, like, well, Yeah, but finally. It's going to be a bit of a baptism of fire to yeah. drive around London. <laughs> It'd be good to have. Definitely. It makes a difference. But uh, yeah, I mean, just been too busy worrying. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Well, driving's good fun. It's like you're in for a treat, especially the first few months. Yeah, I'll be watching my back, I think. <laughs> yeah, it'll be good. I'm excited to get the road. Just don't pile four or five other huge rowers. I remember the first time I did that, I was driving down from school and we're like, it's the first time I'd had like five guys. So it's like five people in this like Fiat Punto. And then like the traffic stops in front of me and I like go to hit the brake and it's like, there's no brakes because it's like 500 kilos in Momentum, the car. Yeah, yeah it was just <laughs> like, but yeah, that's classic. Um, cool. So uh, yeah, I think this is a really interesting one. Um, we've had quite a few athletes at the end of their career, which has been interesting to talk about that. But I think it's going to be really interesting to talk about someone hopefully sort of in the midst, in the middle of it. Uh, obviously, some real, some awesome success success uh, so far. Just to go over it. So um, 2018 and 2019 Junior World uh, Championships. Um, 2019 in the in the four silver medal, and then 21, 22, 23. Uh, gold uh, under 23s in all three sweep boat classes so men's eight men's four men's pair um, spent some time rowing at Yale which we'll get into and um, also at the Nesh Cup uh, which we'll definitely talk about formerly the Hansa Cup we've spoken about it a little bit before um, yeah. but also really interesting to get into um, your business and, and how you've kind of how you came across that and making that work um, and again, like, yeah, making that work around a full-time rowing schedule. So I think that'll be really interesting stuff to get to. Yeah, absolutely. And also you have been like a requested guest by some of our viewers, definitely. <laughs> Especially after that third win, like who wins three under 23 world championship gold medals? Like it's one of the most competitive racing there is out there. And to do it in every boat category is pretty remarkable. So it's a pleasure to have you on. Yeah, well, like I said, thank you for having me. And I think like... Yeah, with the under twenty three thing, I was I was thinking about it earlier, um, and it's the kind of thing where, like, being I'm at Leander now, came back, gonna eventually try make the team if I can, 
But like, I'm around so many great guys here. The guys who I was around in the Nets Cup squad the few, like last week, like you spoke about. I feel like all of those guys are just like such a high level. And it's been such a good few years of British rowing at all levels, at juniors, at under 23s, obviously at seniors as well. And I think I was kind of just like lucky to be yeah. in the like right cruise at the right time. Which like I know like I know it sounds silly to say, yeah. but like I can take I have examples because it's like guys like Calvin and Dawa and like um who are rowing here now, it's like if they'd hadn't lost another year to COVID, yeah. they easily could have had it. And then there's guys coming through behind me, like Harry Geffen, who I did the pair with, Theo Bell. Like these guys are starting under twenty three younger than I I did. Yeah. And they're they've already done like Harry already has two and he has two more years. Yeah. Like he's, has he's, anyone got four? Has any? I don't think anyone's got four. I don't think. Medals. Yeah, yeah. I ran into. I was at the pub the other day with Sam Mayer, who oh yeah, had legend. Three goals because he won the won the quad twice and and the double once. With yeah. Sam, so we're having a little yeah, we're having a little little laugh about that. But I think it's just a good good time to be in GB. Yeah, to be honest. I mean it's a it's a pretty humble thing of you to say, but also like don't take away from that achievement because it's it's amazing. So but yeah, I think luck's a part of it. There's always a part of it. And then, like you said, I don't think it takes away from your achievement. But yeah, right place, right time. Like under 23s, yeah, I've, I came up with some incredible names as well. Like hiding in the middle of an eight, uh, surrounded by people like Will Satch and Matt Tarrant, like makes the difference. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think we've got a little fact to point out as well that we yet to be corrected on this, but yeah. Tom's got three under 23 World Championship medals, three bronzes. We've tried to look through the world ring history. I think you're the first sweep guy since to have got three under twenty three world medal, uh, yeah, world championship medals, and they're gold. So, oh well, I'll, so I'll is, take that. I guess yeah, but. it's a really uh, tenuous link, and the only reason I did it is because I never had to do the men's. I was never good enough to do the pair, which is obviously like a bit of a higher standard. Um, but yeah, and also because I think it was only before like 2003 it was called the nation's cup before it became an official world rowing event so like if you put all those things into play then i might have been the first british guy to get 323 medals um but yeah now there's a few of us which is pretty cool oh well, we'll take it we should get a little club going yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah but i'm not all mine are bronze yeah. and everyone else is a gold right? <laughs> have shep take us out for a drink or something yeah he bloody should all the medals we've won him yeah to be fair that'll be that'll be a good drink i reckon <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, like you said, Leah, definitely there's some luck in it. Um, and it's a, it's a awesome to see how GB's doing right now. Like, not just sweep, you know, sculling, which has been difficult. You know, when I came in under 23s, when we were sort of doing it, when it was at like 09. So I think in like 08, they didn't take a quad at all because it wasn't fast enough. And like the scullers were really having to like prove that they had the speed before they'd even like consider taking those boats, like as a sweep athlete. There was always they were always even had the Cox four. So I under twenty. Do they still have a Cox four now? Yeah, they yeah, do. Yeah, yeah, they got yeah. silver this year. Like a development. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. So like, there's always spaces for. I never had to like make the team and then be like, wow, I hope we're fast enough. Like they were always going to send the boat. So, but yeah, no, it's been it's been pretty cool to see juniors as well. It's like insane. Like uh, yeah, I don't know. It's looking good for the future for sure. I mean, the, the only problem is like where are, where are the gaps? Like coming up into the team, like. You know, well, tell me about it. <laughs> you've been yeah. looking, you've been searching. Exactly, I've been looking. There's not many gaps, unfortunately. But yeah, yeah. But I'll keep hanging around long enough. We'll see, um, see what happens. I remember in, uh, I was on like a senior camp in 2011, and I remember like Hodge and Reed all talking about, yeah, London will be my last one. And Langers was like, yeah, London will be my last one. And I was like, oh, there's going to be some spaces here. And then after London, they're like, now where are we going to go again? Like, ah, oh, man. <laughs> 
Uh, cool. So um, I guess uh, as we normally do start, like uh, to talk about how you got into rowing in the first place, it's normally quite a fun story. Yeah, sure. So I'm from Aberdeen, Scotland. I moved around a bit with my family, a few different countries abroad. And then like when I was kind of 12, 13, we moved back to Scotland. My mom was like, right, we need to like settle down, get into, get into a school, make some friends. And I think like it was the first summer there. We just we just got there and I think my mom was like sick of having us in the house. It's like, right, we're going to do something where you can go and meet some people. We were down at the river and like we saw the boat club and they, we saw they were doing like learn to row weeks and so my dad had rowed a little bit at university and he, he loves it he loved it enough to buy an erg and so like that had always been like sitting in our living room and it was like too dangerous for me to, to touch when i was young i don't know like i'm not sure what i was gonna do I'm, you guys know all about that yeah yeah fall off the back yeah exactly yeah, yeah. exactly but so like she with a few a few of like her friends, like their kids, like they stuck us all on that. And it's like this week long program ran by mostly the, the kids uh, at the club, Azra, Aberdeen schools, which is like, uh, it's all, all the different schools around Aberdeen. They can all send people to it. It's rowing is not really a big sport at all in Scotland, but what they've managed to do at Azra is incredible. Mm. Like suddenly they have this, what is now a really big, boat club that actually can go down and compete with people in England and it does really well at the Scottish Championships and like produces really like quite a few good athletes which is incredible considering for the most part like it was run by volunteers yeah and it like it's, it's amazing really but the the guys who run it are incredible but I, I guess I did this learn to row week and I was up pretty bad at rowing I guess as, as anyone who started but I, and I definitely wasn't like one of the most natural people to pick it up I remember like one guy thought, oh I definitely don't want to be in his boat he's just going to catch a crab because there was like this little race at the end of the week uh, but I did make some really good friends doing it and because of that I was like back in a new place I was starting a new school and so it became a great social opportunity for me so that's kind of how I started getting into it and rowing at first for me really just started off as being like an opportunity to go out on the river and, and mess around. Like you, you don't think of it as a sport so much. You think it's like, it's just the boys on the water like yeah, yeah. pretending to like tip the boat and, <laughs> and just like see, seeing who gets like freaked out the least, which, yeah, is, yeah. which is kind of how it started off for me. Did you always have to go, did you always have a coach with you or were you, got, were you allowed to like go up the river on your own? I mean, we always, I'm sure we always had a coach, yeah, but yeah. I mean, no, not really. Like, yeah, yeah, I feel at school like there was times, sometimes just like 15 guys in singles just piss up at the river, like yeah. no teacher or anything, like just messing yeah. up. There's a bit, there's a bit halfway up. We're supposed to go like all the way up to the top lock and back down again, but halfway up, there's like a, there was like a real like a shallow mud bank that we could all just beach ourselves on and just go and sit on the bank for half an hour, yeah. like mess about and then go back down. <laughs> yeah, uh, all those kind of. And like we talked about it before as well. It's like just a sense of freedom that you don't get in a lot of other sports. Yeah, yeah. Plus, just being on the waters just so fun you know you're out in the sun always fresh air like who doesn't love that yeah and even like compared to school it was a very different environment because it's like you're meeting like kids from all different sorts of backgrounds as well and you can you can do what you want you can say what you want you can like get up to anything and suddenly you're not just you're not just going to this club to train you're also going on weekends away to Strathclyde Park in Glasgow and like suddenly we're going to shops on our own yeah yeah which like when you're like 13 is like quite a big adventure it's like i've got to make my own 
pre-race meal you know yeah. in a holiday inn with what i can find at asda you know? and it's like and it's like it was never anything good you know? yeah. but it was just like the all the like, stupid stuff that we would do like i just had I had such a good time with that kind of side of it i used to get packed away my mum would make food but like food for like 15 people <laughs> go away for like a one day at dawny i'd have like a cooler box a hamper just like handing food out to everyone like yeah that was awesome i was lucky with that yeah I remember, yeah, like my coach wouldn't let us, like in Poland, he wouldn't let us go outside to the shop on our own like two days before regatta. He was like, I don't trust you. Coach, it's 200 meters. I don't trust you. It was like, wait, doesn't want you to get run over or something? No, he just thought we'd like run, sprint, break a leg or something. Because a few people have done that. So I guess there's like a bit of history there. Not me, personally. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sure. Uh, Yeah. So yeah, go on. So I started off when I I must have been 13, 14. Mm. And we started off sculling. I guess the main kind of goal was like Brit Champs and that school was doing the Cots Quad there. And I was I was always like quite a big kid. I think I think I probably peaked relatively like on my erg when I was like thirteen. I went like six fifty or something. And so I was actually like wow. at the time that was like better than most of the kids in the club. Because like because we didn't really erg as well, mm. which was because I think there were because it was like a fun club it, it did well but the, the way that they kept a lot of people was by doing more fun things so we'd be doing circuits we'd be doing runs which a lot of, like the smaller kids were better at and i was terrible at yeah. i was so bad so we'd be doing circuits where it would be like you do a like 4k run and then like a k on the erg and then you do 50 burpees and stuff like that which is a fun and it's competitive but it's like i was always just worse at it. i think I, I probably would have been better off like just erging the whole time but in the end i had a yeah. good time i think that was like but definitely the most important thing it's kind of like crew bonding isn't it when you do those types of activities i remember we used to like every wednesday the second session would always be just playing basketball or football yeah. or something like it's just, just good crew bonding and it translates to the boat yeah. yeah i find it frustrating when like everything like for a certain sport like well everything has to be about that sport like yeah. you can't like no you can go and cross train and go and play i told this one before didn't they like i was at under 23 camp and uh we had like a third session was like a football match and everyone was pretty tired and like we were going to go to Shep and then Shep was like oh I've got something I need to go and do so you, you can just go and like work it out for yourselves yeah. so we were like day off innit I'm yeah. just going to walk up there and do absolutely nothing and we like got up there split into two teams and like within five minutes it's the most competitive football match you've ever been a part of everyone's absolutely blowing hangings like sliding tackles like it's all got like so serious so quickly but yeah and i think i've i think i've um i watched this in the other day a guy says if you want your kid to be good at sport like the best thing they can do is go and do all other sports like the earlier you specialize the more you then lack with like the other things mm. that you haven't done did you do any sports before right yeah definitely and i think like doing other sports was always a huge thing for me mm. partly because like i just probably at the time like enjoyed it more a lot more than the actual rowing and it was a way to like see my like non-rowing friends as well so i was originally a swimmer which like i started started out yeah. but, like, i didn't i didn't laugh i thought it was a bit boring but like when i came back as well it's, I, like i wanted to, of course i wanted to play football did a bit of rugby wasn't particularly good at it but football, i kept playing football right the way through school because it was like something i could do with my friends from school and i was really i was young for my year so i could play I could play for the year below so i'd be like center back for my year and then like the year below i'd play striker so i could always just go and nice. like, nod in um and yeah like, i was i was rubbish but i was like way bigger than all the other kids so it was like it was quite a good time um to do that. i've always been pretty shit at re- any regular football game but like 
pretty epic in a game of rowers football. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. When, just, yeah. <laughs> when you're surrounded by people who don't have the best hand-eye coordination. <laughs> you're so athletic. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, yeah, just getting <laughs> finally feeling like I can actually yeah. play football. Yeah, nothing, nothing compared to anyone who used to play it well. Yeah, but I guess so. I started off, and we were we were the best J13 quad in Scotland. So we, which meant we beat like. To, like a crew from George Watson's and a crew from Harriet's but it was like yeah. suddenly like straight away we were like Scottish champions I was like oh like, that's quite good like it sounded good at school and so like we got into that we were just having it we were having a really good time doing it and I was looking up to all these older guys in the club who were all doing home countries and, and rowing for Scotland and then like, I was like wow that's crazy and I, I remember coming home and being like mum like I could row for Scotland one day if, if I keep going and I work really hard Maybe one day I could I could row for Scotland and I could get I could get the all yeah. in one because at the time it's, it's like I had two all in ones that I would like yeah. cycle through. I had my Azra one and one like a Godfrey one that I got like, <laughs> which is great because it's like you just accumulate so much care over the years. But it's like I, I really didn't have much at all. But like I think through through my junior career, I like I never took rowing incredibly seriously. Partly because I just wanted to do other things. Like, I always felt like I had a really long time ahead of me and what was most important for me was that I was enjoying myself you know and I think the the coach that I were great I had this incredible coach called Johnny Muir who really pushed us on a lot and I think sometimes he like was a bit disappointed because he thought me and my pairs partner at the time like really could have could have pushed harder we could have like been in the top world for we could have done a bit better but at the time I was like I just want to play football. So it's like instead in P, I could have gone and rode, but instead I was like, I'd rather, I'd actually rather go and just like have a kickabout with my friends. And I'm, I'm really glad that I did that because my, I still had a great time in my junior career. But and I think like if I hadn't, if I'd really just committed to rowing, like there's a good chance my career would have been, would have been much, much shorter. Sure, to yeah, that's, and it's, that's not uncommon for it's obviously in rowing. It's so easy to start taking it really, really seriously, really quickly. And like, it's not uncommon. You see a lot of guys who've done really well at junior worlds that then don't go into rowing anymore because they like put all that pressure on themselves and just, yeah, they're just burnt out. Yeah. So like, I think that's like great advice really to like, yeah. make sure you keep enjoying it. Yeah. I think it's also like translates outside of Britain as well. Cause I, I just remember being told by like my co- coaches and like all the guys, like if you're good as a junior, you're no senior because yeah. like by the time you're 18 19 you've been rowing for like four or five years like really hard 12 times a week then you want to go and start to do other stuff because you didn't get to do that before whereas with you you did and probably that's when you were like okay well i actually can devote more time to rowing because i don't feel like i'm missing out on other things now yeah. and i think especially like being at asra they do they they now have a boathouse which is like double the size of what it was for a lot of the time when i was there and They've got all these awesome boats and uh, like more of a coaching staff now, and it's incredible and it's, it's so cool like seeing them come down and still like beat a lot of the the portion because Chris, to be honest, like yeah. uh, when they when they come down and keeping it fun was so so important because and like I'm very grateful for my parents for always keeping me doing other things because it was always like there was always that pressure to just go down the rowing rabbit hole do an extra two weight sessions a week, do all this extra stuff. But my parents were like, no, you have to do this. You have to, you have to make sure you do well in your schoolwork yeah, yeah. as well. Like, so like one time they didn't let me go on a Easter training camp. So I couldn't like, so that I could instead like stay home and study. And like in the end, 
like I probably would have been fine anyway but you just, you just never know and like I look back and it, like, it just really didn't hurt me whether but and it's like if I hadn't done well in my exams like who knows like yeah. I might not have been able to go to Yale and like do all this yeah. like stuff that I've, had, I've now had the chance to do because of that but it's Rome is is very different and very like isolated I think up in Aberdeen because we were just having a good time and, so, and like England and Dorney and Nottingham it's just this like very distant place that we would like come down in our minibus do like this like 10 12 hour ride we come in we go like like do it go bash up and down the course yeah yeah and like we come back with a medal feeling like we've like nicked something yeah. <laughs> it's like an adventure and yeah exactly it was fun and we're like doing we think we're all like edgy and stuff like yeah it's like the harder it and the more the more it means yeah yeah but like we had a we had a great time uh doing that but i think i, I fell relatively quickly into gb kind of pathway thing i guess because we had a, a really good group of guys who got on really well and like wanted to wanted to row well as well and then at the time we had johnny our coach who was really pushing us on and we really only had like four to eight guys we rode cox fours and then if we combined like two age groups nice we could we could put an eight together yeah. and we like go and do nat schools or something like that and so we were really just working with that and it's yeah. like and it's like there were two of us i think by the time we were like 17 who were like around 620 on the erg but then and a few guys were like 630 but then the rest were like kind of like up towards the seven minutes yeah, yeah. and yeah we we weren't training enough to really go and like make a huge dent but we had a good time with it and we went on some great training camps to Ghent and everything but i think the the gb stuff especially was kind of what kept open my eyes a bit to a slightly longer term i was i was never like oh i want to be i think i can be a gb olympian i was i was never i, I don't think people ever rated me that highly because i was with like robert powell who's who's gone to princeton and done done really well there but he, he was older than me he was like he was stronger than me at the time and i was like yeah he's the man he's going to go and kill it and he was doing what he was going to trials and he was doing really well and my first after gb france my first um like gb trial was it like it must have been february trials for juniors when i was j16 and i was only there to for him mm. really like just just filling a filling a seat and we ended up and on, on one of the days we came seventh which was which was like pretty good and it, yeah i was, I was like, so on j16 like that's really good and so that got us our invite to to final trials and we ended up doing coop we were in the coop eight with the, like the coop actor instagram nice the original coop actor which wait what, what year was that it must have been 2017 i think okay okay it's so not not 2016 because i actually was at that coop i was just watching i, I happened to be in Poznan when the regatta was going on so i thought maybe but uh, oh it was so funny that that and that time it was like with a bunch there was a bunch of st paul's guys like a couple of ethan guys and just people from all around and we were just staying in this house in norwich and and rowing out what what was for me then like the highest level I'd rowed. Then I, we got to go and race, and it was just like the biggest deal ever. And like that coupe is incredible. Yeah, incredible I've heard a lot of people say coupe. It's like all the seriousness of worlds, but without the pressure. Yeah, well, like at the time we were putting the pressure on yeah. ourselves as well. But like in in reality, there like it is a bit removed. Mm. But it still it was incredible for me. It's like yeah, we're like kind of European champions. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what like. Maybe it was like, oh, maybe I could keep doing this. And that was when I was first maybe like introduced to the idea of US unis, which was like incredibly, incredibly different distant 
because I think I might be wrong, but like at a lot of schools down here, people are aware that if you do well at rowing, you could you can get a scholarship to like an Ivy League university, which just like was not an I was not aware of at all. And yeah, I think if you're in a rowing school, like pathways kind of been forged already by people before yeah. you. So yeah, but like there was no like, there was no one who gone before mm. um so that was very strange and i remember like the first coach's message to me and then they realized that i was like 16 and oh, i had to talk to you because the recruiting rules <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and <laughs> yeah i mean like facebook messenger <laughs> slide into the dm recruiting tool really um but like that was the first time i went and i like realized that that could even potentially be a possibility and like i came back I was speaking to my mom. I was like, "Oh, what, what do you think about US unis?" And the experience that I'll, that a lot of people in Scotland have is like people go to golf or like football, and they go to know, like Alabama or like some random university somewhere in America on on a scholarship, and then they get injured, and then they have to like pay full price <laughs> only, and yeah. then they come back, and like no one in the UK has heard of your degree from like North ohio like whatever yeah yeah and and it's like not the best thing but i was like hey well how do, how does yale sound and mom was like, actually like that's that's okay but again i still didn't know much about us rowing at all and it was in that next year going into my last year of school where i was i guess i was j17 because so oh, yeah scotland's different isn't it yeah because yeah. i was i was like youngest in my year but not not by a huge amount so it was okay yeah but it meant that I pretty much always like rode the age group up, which was yeah. which was nice and it was a great experience for me. But then I was so we were going to through GB trials, which which was tough actually because the the club was having some like financial difficulties, so we we couldn't we didn't have our full time coach anymore. And like I said, John Muir had really been pushing us really like instilled a lot of our uh, I think the t- the toughness that Azra kids have and just a like really good technique for people who don't train that much and it's, it's maybe not the most aesthetic thing but it's like it connects the water and it makes it makes boats move that's the way you need and suddenly like we've been doing well at the trials um we'd, we'd be coming third pretty much all year there was like the guys above the guys who ended up going like 547 in the junior four so we were like pretty much the next boat down and we're like oh this is great we're gonna be in the eight it's gonna be so cool and then final trials rolls around and like we didn't have we didn't have a coach there to argue for us and pretty they ended up like i can i've complained about this to like so many people but i think it's something that was actually like quite important in my rowing development because it put a little bit of a chip on my shoulder because it from my point of view it looked like we were like forced out of the eight the guys who were originally meant to be in the pair like they did a time run and it like didn't go brilliantly and they're like oh well we've got these Aberdeen boys who row a pair the whole time which like, wasn't even true but they're like oh they must just row a pair the whole time we'll put them in the yeah, yeah. big like these guys will row an eight just as well as them and then like then the pair will be fine and that's fine it can be a development pair you know and at the time I like just felt robbed because I was like suddenly it's like well we're not going to we're, like we're not a bad pair we'd won that scores but we like we knew we weren't anything incredibly special like, we were still young we were weak and it just felt like i'd like lost my chance to get a medal which was something like no one at azra had ever done and like i i at that point definitely didn't think i was gonna 
go on to have much more of a career in rowing just because I, I hadn't really thought about it that much but we like yeah so we went to the worlds we helen uh taylor coached us and like we ended up having a really good experience we probably should have been in the a final but we ended up winning the b final got a lot better in the pair and it was it was a good experience but that but then the four one the eight one the quad got silver so we like we ended up being the only guys yeah. in that entire team who like didn't have a medal which was tough and i was like oh it's like it's just because we're scottish and because we didn't have a coat like they just went and like we got we kind of just got pushed into it but really like, i think there was more at play probably where mm-hmm. it's like, i'm sure shit like shit, shit watching over and be like yeah we did like kind of little development but and it definitely was better because like who knows like if i've been able to go into that eights and got a medal maybe i'd be like actually yeah i'm fine i'm gonna call it a day and go and play. yeah yeah no not go but that like kind of awakened something in me where i was like no i'm like now I'm going to prove. Yeah, it's like I am good enough to go and get get this medal, and then like that after that, that's when I was now I'm heading off the states. So it's like I mean, you did what you're supposed to do. You won the B final, which yeah. is like you, you don't want to go to a B final and and come dead last in there. Yeah. So it's 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 fine if you win it. And obviously, it's 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 tough racing in Perth. It's just, it's a smaller boat. You have technically more races, and you can't hide in a pair. Yeah. Uh, if if you're binning yourself every race trying to like make it through the quarter and the semi and then the final like it's going to pay its toll yeah yeah it's there's there are all sorts of stories from junior final trials it's basically you do all the races and then the coaches all meet in a room and whoever can shout the loudest gets their guys in the top boat sort of thing it's obviously doesn't quite work like that and there's a lot more to play and there's so many kids that that are there you know like i'm sure making decisions is difficult and it's not a job i'd want to have um, but yeah, in that experience as well, definitely you took it the right way and been like, cool, like, I'm going to show you now. And I think sometimes, whether consciously or subconsciously, like you say, like sometimes, uh, coaches may, might know, you know, like that might be trying to get a rise out of, out of people, you know, spoke to, we were speaking to Al the other day about, um, Chris Collin giving them absolute bollocking before, before a GB trial. And then all three of them did absolutely awesome. Do you think? What did he? Was that planned? You know, yeah. So yeah. it's hard, but then also you're you're kind of a product of everything that's happened to you, which again we've talked about. But um, yeah, it's cool to see. Like that's the making of it, really, isn't it? Like when you when the decision doesn't go your way, what do you do about it? Yeah, I just like like kind of it kind of reminds me a bit of like so John Johnny, our, who was our coach at Asra, he was he was just like ex military, very 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 straight shooting. I remember like we did the GB France and it was with a bunch of Eton boys. And we were down at Dorney and there were like the five of us staying in one like holiday inn room in Windsor and we like we were just roasting like we couldn't sleep and everything. But then we went to Dorney the next day and we got to row in a Hudson, which was crazy for us. Yeah. And what is this? Like th- like we saw that all the facilities that they had, we were like, This is crazy, it's the funniest thing. And then like Johnny was down there coaching with us and all the um all the Eastern boys like calling him sir and everything. He's like <laughs> He's like, <laughs> he's like, I'm not a sir. Like, he, and he's just like, lit, and they're just like quite taken aback. Uh, but it was so funny because he was always just so straight. Like his his race talk to us would always be like, right, you know what you're doing, get the job done. Like, um, not holding your hand. No, yeah, exactly. And and I think it's what you see from a lot of the best coaches. Like right up the levels, really. It was like Steve Gladstone before before the RA final come off, and he's like, you did what you did in practice. Now just go get the job done and and it's like nice and simple yeah yeah it works it works for me 
the less they say, like they don't say a lot, but what they do say is is worth it. Exactly. Yeah. Don't reinvent the wheel. Yeah. So then you went off to states after your first junior worlds. Yeah. And what course did you study? How did that come about? Uh, why did you choose Yale in the first place? So it was kind of interesting because I like knew nothing about U.S. universities. I didn't know anything about U.S. rowing. I was never a big rowing nerd when I was a junior. Because I never thought I would be, to be honest, but I do have a rowing, <laughs> rowing Instagram account now, I guess. Um, <laughs> but I think like it was, yeah, it was very strange. I didn't know anything about it. I knew that US rowing was good and I'd heard the guys who'd been rowing for longer at my club, they would talk about guys like Charlie Owens, Tom Digby, and they're like, oh my God, they're going to, they're going to Yale, they're, they're going to Harvard, these guys. That's crazy. And then like, you, I remember watching, I'd, I'd never been to Henley really until in, like during my junior career. And so I remember like just sitting, lying on the floor of my bedroom, like watching the Henley races and, and seeing those guys come over. And it must have been the, it the 2018, I can't remember, 2017 Yale versus Washington, like Henley final, mm. which is like an incredible race. And she's like, wow, they, like they, they rode so well. And yeah. It was all very surreal, like the, the prospect that I could that I could do that. And it was Sam Bam, who's a coach again now at, at Cal, who was the one who got in touch with me and kind of took a chance on me because I would say I, I really wasn't the strongest. I was going to like around 620 on the ERG. And I was, I was tall, but I was, I was lanky as hell. And like I hadn't done anything that incredible in rowing really and he pushed quite hard for me to be recruited he was also the only one who bothered to actually find out what year i was and that i like didn't have another year of school because a lot of them looked at me like oh he's he's 16 he's 17 he must have another year of school but i didn't mm -hmm. and so yale was like actually the only ones because sam Bam, yeah he was the assistant there yeah, he's the only one who bothered he, he spoke to me like told me all about it and got me really excited about it and was like very pivotal in pushing me uh, towards that. And I went out with my official visit to Yale. I couldn't believe that they would pay for your ticket to fly you out. Oh, that's sick. Which is crazy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like, they're like, oh, come out and visit. I'm like, I, I can't like, afford to fly out to America. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just like look at uni. And they're like, oh, no, we'll, we'll fly you out. Like, and your mum. <laughs> wow. And so like, oh, right, I guess. Proper well, chairman treatment. Exactly. It's like, off we go. And you get picked up in the airport in a limousine and they drive you they drive you there and i was there and I was talking to guys and turned out yale had like won the last last two two i i guess one at that point like iras national championships so i was like oh this is like the best team as well and like, <laughs> i went out on the launch spoke to steve it was really late in the season when i went out so they were dual racing brown and i got to see them like wipe the floor with them nice and it was just so cool. I was I was blown away. The guys went back to the house, uh, the crew house after. They had a barbecue going. And I'm like, what is this? It's like it's actually like something out of a movie. And from then, I was like, I was completely sold. But I really just got lucky that that was the one, the guys who, who actually bothered to speak to me and took a chance on me because they could they could probably have gone for someone who was a lot stronger and who had gone and done more. Well, that's true, but then development's a big part of it. And also like coming from a small club in, in Scotland in Aberdeen to then go and see big crew house in Yale with barbecues and all those kind of crazy races must've been like a huge culture shock as well. 
It was. It was very strange. I remember they were playing like the Beach Boys was on, and I'd been like, I've, you go to a few classes on your official, and I remember sitting in this Spanish class, and there was a girl in like a swimsuit wearing goggles, <laughs> and I was like, what is going on? I was like, this is like something actually out of a movie, and there was someone else like wearing something strange. I'm like, this is so weird. It's like when you watch that, what is it? It's like Bad Neighbors or like one of those kind of movies like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is crazy. She must have just like come back from a party or something. And this is the US is actually like this. Like, sure, I'm I'm here for it. And did you find out why she was that? What I found out <laughs> when I was actually there was like it's not Yale's relatively tame on that kind of front, but the sororities do have this like bid day kind of thing. Okay. Where they all they get given challenges to do and they dress up. And it only it just so happened that I was there on this weekend. Yeah, and so yeah. I was walking around and seeing people in like dinosaur costumes going to lectures. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, people just do this. Like no one would ever do that. They're like, I need a movie. Yeah, exactly. It's like in Scotland, like no one's like stick their head above the parapet. Yeah. And it's like suddenly there's people who are like, I'm like, yeah, go on. Like that's seems, seems I wanted fun. to hear I wanted to hear that like the recruiters get everyone in on the same weekend and then make Yale like a movie like right you're going to dress up as a dinosaur you're going to be like wooing on like the rooftop with some beers and we're going to get <laughs> I all these surprised. it really was like that I was <laughs> they were, yeah, I was blown away fun. to be honest but I had a great time and then after that it's like I wasn't we weren't sure the fi- financial aid was going to work out which is an incredible thing because it's they they can really make it so you can't afford it. It's not like a scholarship thing so much. Mm-hmm. It's like they look at what you can afford and they try and tailor it to you. And so it was always, it was very short. I was like what? There's like half the people here who are paying like ninety thousand quid a year, and and then it's like, and then if if you're lucky, <laughs> or like your parents don't make quite as much money, yeah. It's like you can you can get it for pretty much free, and then like and. It was amazing. It's like they pay for two training trips a year. You get all your kit for free. And my alternative, I was going to go to St. Andrews. So that was, I actually accepted my offer Oh yeah, for St. Andrews. So I could have ended up with uh, Alan Sinclair for yeah, the, yeah. In the other week, but it would have been a very, very different experience for me because it was a much smaller club. I presume I would have done sculling, but the fact, like I didn't, I wasn't sure if everything was going to go through. So it was only really like a month or so before I flew out to Yale that I knew I was actually coming. It's crazy. And yeah, so it just, I have no idea what I'd be doing now if it had gone the other way. I'm sure I would have had a good time. But. Yeah, yeah. There's still an incredible uni, San Andrews, isn't yeah. it? But yeah, obviously Yale is such a household name. Like everyone, everyone knows about the Yale Harvard race and just about just growing in the US is just super competitive and there's just like boats upon boats upon boats. It just looks super fun to be a part of like a yeah. team of that caliber. How was it in that system? Obviously, it's something we miss in, in Britain. It's like having that level of consistency, like being able to, you know, when I did the ladies plate you know, back in my day, that like maybe there'd be a Molsey crew or a Brooks crew that would give you a bit of a race through the season, but then you got to go and race Brown or Harvard or someone and they've been having humdingers like weekend after weekend. Like, What's the racing schedule like? How does that all work? It's crazy because for a start, like you're racing at every day pretty much in practice. Yeah. Like that's why Steve Gladstone, absolute legend. Like everyone will, everyone will tell you that. And being able to row for him was absolutely incredible. And he kind of runs his practices like races. We'd like row up the top and then we come down and do like three 2Ks with swaps. Nice. And so like you're used to just running hard the whole time. But, and then, like, so we wouldn't have many head races. We'd have head the Charles, which we wouldn't really prepare for. 
and then we still get kind of shafted if we, if we didn't do very well. <laughs> uh, but it was it was a lot of fun. We had that. We had head of the house. Like we rode in the house tonic, amazing like seven k stretch, gorgeous river, and where we like we dress up, we wear like Hawaiians or like false mustaches and stuff nice. like that. And it was always and like UW showed up one year and we beat them when we were like in suits and ties. <laughs> it was like and yeah, and then they beat us at the Charles, but. Um, it was just such a good time. And the racing season, we, we would normally go on training camp to Florida in over Christmas. And then we come back, have a few more weeks because you can't row over winter because it freezes yeah, yeah. and there's rules. So we'd just be in the basement of this huge gym churning away. But like we always actually had a really good time with it. And then we'd fly out to, fl- to Florida again, Canal 54, Sebastian, Florida, amazing training camp location where it's just like, you just plow up and down. We do our like last few seat races, like the big seat races there, and then we come back and then we get into the racing season, which always started with the Brown, the Yale Brown Jewel, yeah. which was a great way to start. And then from there, there and on out, it's like pretty much a race every weekend where it'll be a jewel. Uh, so it's like you'll be racing Princeton and Cornell or Dartmouth, and you're traveling all around doing these. And then Eastern Sprints, which is like the Ivy League and other Eastern teams. That kind of happens at the end of that, which is round about final exam time, which was great. It was always always a really fun race. And there's the betting shirts and everything, which was all completely surreal. Like if you, you yeah. manage to win that and you come away with 25 shirts from other teams, it's it's an incredible tradition. Do you get shirts from a jewel as well? Yeah, you would. So how? So what's your count? Have you, have you counted them down? I haven't, I haven't tallied it up, but there's a, there's a lot. I'm going to try to get my mom to like sew them into a, oh, awesome, yeah. like a blanket or something like that. Yeah. Oh, that's sick. I've got quite a few quite a few brown and dark Princeton ones. Got a few Harvard ones? Yeah, a few, a few Harvard ones. I've got one Harvard Kale, but they didn't, they didn't give you your... Uh, they didn't give you tops at uh, Harvard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they got me back, unfortunately, in the finals. Yeah. But the guys like... Guys like Tom Digby, who won three RAs, he probably has like 250 shirts. Whoa. Uh, maybe that maybe that's a bit much, but pro- probably around 200 because yeah. you go like yeah. if you went to the Crew Classic, you could get like, it's probably not far off that because you're winning Eastern Sprints, you're getting 20 shirts. You go to RAs, you get another 35, and you they were just doing it like year in and year out. Nice. I've seen some like some videos and stuff, isn't it? When like you just you're just stand by your boat and guys will just come over and like. You know, like chuck the shirt in or be cool. pissed like, off or yeah. is everyone pissed off or some people like mind it it depends so you have guys like most people are really friendly and yeah. it's really nice to actually meet people because yeah. you like the guy who's sitting across from you gives it like um like gives it to you yeah. and so you you tell you like, oh where are you from good race what, what are you guys doing for the rest of the season and it's normally really nice because it's actually great to meet the people you're racing but then there, there's some people very few people who are very salty you get guys like I don't know who would like come over and be like oh like just throw it at you or be like oh what's your name and it's like guys who whose name he probably should know like we're hard we all know who each other is and he's just like yeah like here you go um but like it was very rare that that anyone was actually salty yeah that's good yeah so in terms of like training at yale um What's like the number of people that are training in a squad and like when you erg together, how many rows of how many ergs do you have? Because it just looks crazy. Whenever we see like videos from America, it's just rows upon rows upon rows. Yeah, we're just sat there going, I want to get the job fixing them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. They'll, fly, they'll fly you in, I'm sure. Oh, me too. 
Hook yeah, me we're, up. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna we're gonna book Steve Gladstone and hopefully for a podcast as well. No. He'll be interesting. He'll, that's oh. that's the one people should watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but like, what's crazy is I came from a club where the guys and the girls are all intermixed. It's like a lot. There's like maybe like 60, 70 guys or girls. But there, it's like on the on our men's rowing team, the heavyweight men, we had like probably like fifty guys, and then there was a women's team which has. 50 there's a lightweight team that probably has 30 40 so wow. it's like that's a lot. and each each team has its own separate tank in the gym in the basement of the gym with ergs and so there's enough ergs for pretty much all of these people wow so there's probably like 40 ergs in each tank so yeah that'll be the that'll be the gold mine if you can <laughs> uh, if you can get just, in there we're just uh we're part way through doing cabbage at the moment they got what do you reckon about 106 yeah which is over a hundred but, but that's only a national team like it's like yeah. one university yeah. yeah it's ridiculous it's a long week <laughs> yeah but i remember like they were like oh like the watt bikes they're not they're not that great they're not very consistent like for some of them it was like oh we'll just get some concept two bikes and the next week we had like uh, 20 concept two bikes just in and it was like yale athletics can like pick up the bill for that and it, yeah, yeah. it's crazy yeah. but, like, the resources there just blew my mind like at aberdeen we were rowing in the only boat that was heavier enough for us in the four, it was this like 1990 plastic Janicek, yeah. which split in the middle because it was from the days when like you, the fours couldn't fit on trailers without splitting. So we would have to do that every time we left and it would have like water seeping in. Well, I had, I had a two-piece four. You must have rode in the two-piece four. No, that, no, I've rode in boats from the 70s. 90s was a luxury. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I was, but like, and then like, I mean, it was pretty, pretty windy, pretty wavy, and like the waters crash over the side because there's no lip at all. Yeah. But like going from that to being, yeah, was a program. We get a new carbon impacker every year, yeah. every single year, because there's like a list of people lining up to buy a new boat. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, just all of it. It's Shrewsbury School. Apparently, they got a six-year waiting list. It's for, crazy. To buy the first to donate a boat. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we went. Blows we did a training camp on school there, and um, halfway through the camp, we um, we bow rigged. And they're, they're, I can't remember his name. He's quite a famous for American coach, Todd something before your time. You won't remember. Anyway, he comes down and he's like, oh, hey guys, how you doing? Oh, you've re-rigged for Bowside. We were like, yeah. He's like, we've just got another boat for that. We were like, what? He's like, yeah, well, we got like a custom made boat that's like Empacker that sits on the top rack that's just like bow rigged and doesn't change. And if they want a bow rig, they just use that boat instead. And they just ship it out from Germany as well because like, it must be even more expensive yeah. to guess it. And then, and then, yeah, I mean, how are you travel? How are you getting your boats around and traveling? What, what's like some of the longest journeys? Are you flying sometimes? Yeah, we, those we fly pretty much most, most of the time. Yeah. I get like, I was, I never had to go to Cornell, which would have been a long bus, but Boston's like a three, four hour drive That's in a right. bus, which is fine. And it's always, it's always quite a good laugh. I guess you were quite well prepared from that, traveling from Aberdeen down to Dorney. Yeah. Oh, I was. It was much, it was much more luxurious. But what, what's funny about Yale is that, our boathouse isn't on campus, which is like one of the big reasons people are like, oh, don't go to Yale, which is ridiculous because most people at some point have to travel at least a, a, some kind of distance to go. And it's to go to this amazing river and like there's all sorts of benefits. But the funny thing is, is like they would, for that, they would cram us into American school buses. Like again, ones from the movies. Yeah. But like 30, 40, like guys who are like six foot seven crammed into american school buses <laughs> like, they're like properly made for kids yeah it's 
Yeah. Like you have to sit sideways and it was, it was always like oh, freshman double up and so you'd be like or triple up <laughs> and yeah, it was it was always like so funny. Like we'd just have such a good time with it. But it's just so weird that the things all splash out on and then like yeah, no, yeah. suddenly we're going through, we're going the course in these like American in these kids' school buses. It's just ridiculous. Funny. So how do you feel like obviously to at the end of that year you came back for juniors for another time at Worlds? How do you feel you made a step in America? Like, made a big difference to how you were rowing? Redemption mission? Yeah. It was, I guess. It was a big, like, right, I'm coming back. I think the thing was, I'd, I had got much better that year. I'd dropped, dropped my erg a lot. I'd started off right in the lower boats in the 4V, then the 3V. And I was, I was really just happy to be there because I came in and I was bottom of the erg sheet. It was the kind of thing, it's like you, like, look down from the bottom, and there's, like, a few guys who have, like, just started rowing who are below me and i was doing stuff it was like we did a 6k and i beat my 5k pb and i was ranked i'm like 39th in the squad and you're like and at this time we've got charlie always and everything like just absolutely killing it off at the top and it's like you look up and it's like, <laughs> yeah i don't know if i'm ever gonna get but i was 17 and there's guys who are like 23 maybe even like yeah, 23 and there's just such a big physiological difference mm. there that it was it was hard to compete with that and i was it was a very like new volume of training for me but it meant that i could improve a lot really and i think i was held down a bit by my erg at first like for the four i was in the 3v4v mix we got it the jungle where he's like battling up and down but again it was a great time and it taught me taught me how to row hard and i was i was really just happy happy to be there and then it's like as the spring came and we started seat racing i was like oh hold on it's like like i'm i'm still not the strongest guy but i think i can beat some people just by by being a bit gritty and and just trying to row well and i ended up like i got into 2v and we got to go to we went to iras in california and we got bronze Sick. which was which was huge it was, yeah it was amazing and so that it meant my first year was actually really quite good it, it turned out quite well and so I, I I came back to junior trials and no one really knew who I was. There, there were a few guys who I knew from before. And so people were like, who's like, who's this Aberdeen guy who's like, what? why are they not seat racing him as much as he yeah, should? Because yeah. it's like a very different experience before where it's like a lot more people were on my side. Like, oh, he's got this experience. And so it was, it was a very different experience where I could just be a bit more relaxed and just try and make the boat go. And I ended up in the Coxes Four, and like we really wanted to. It was a really good group of guys: Ollie Parrish, Felix Rawlinson, Joe Middleton. They're all all still rowing, and or well, I guess Ollie Parrish just just kind of finished up. But like he had a great career, yeah, with Cambridge. And so we we had a fun a fun campaign. There's always it was probably one of the, I probably felt more pressure in that campaign than I did in any other gb campaign that i've done done since yeah how come i guess it was like the top gb had won the four for a few years at that at that time and i was kind of like oh, like should be there i've just come back from from america we should be able to really do this and like we had a terrible regatta for the first few races we came like third in the heat second and then had to go through the rep and came like second in that just we lost to the the americans and we were just like, what is going on? We just like couldn't really guess it together. Some of the guys were like, arguing a little bit. 
And then finally, in, in the final, it all came together. We were in an outside lane and we just went, I like, I remember my blade like caught, caught the water a bit. I was like, right, we're just going to go. And we kind of like motored along nice. uh, the outside. So it, it was all okay in the end. Like we were, the, the silver was good. It was nice to get the medal, but I was, even at that point, I was still like, I should, I should have a gold and a silver from the year before. And it's just like, that's, it's not a great, great mindset, but it did. But again, that's what like pushed me on and when I did finally get golds in Ratchetsa uh, under twenty threes, it was like, oh, like finally I've gone, I've gone full circle from where yeah. I was as a junior. Well, what a race that was in Ratchetsa! I'm sure we'll get to that as well, and we've got to talk about this. Yeah, I mean, we can. Let's do it. Go on. Well, so after after that, you went back for another year at Yale, or was that a, sort of around the time that uh, the pandemic hit? So I did. I went back to Yale. That was going to be our strongest squad, potentially ever, because there was seven guys returning from the varsity, and there were a bunch of us who were trying to push up into the varsity. So it's, it was it was really competitive. It was all going really well. I was having a great time. I thought I was doing really well with my rowing, and then of course COVID hits. We were in. It was our spring. Was it our spring? Yeah. I guess it was yeah, sort of March, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's some time. Camp in Florida. We were in Florida. We'd had a few days of seat racing, oh, and all this is going around, and we're like, we're, we're realizing that the season's been cancelled. We'd just come out of pretty much hibernation, being in the gym in the base, the dark basement of Payne Whitney Gym, where you're grinding, where we're doing four by thirty on the on the erg, <laughs> like every oh. day or like something like that, and you finally get out and it's like, time to go race. We're the, we're the fittest squad we've ever got. And then suddenly it's like, it's all gone. You're being sent home. Like you're never going to see some of the seniors again. Like you're never going to be on a team with these guys. We didn't get the big send off that we normally do at Harvard Yale. It's like, that was it. And so we were sent back and I was like cast into the, um, the unknown a bit. Cause we were trying to decide like, do we, do we go back and hope that we can row next year and it was really looking like we weren't going to be able to so my class as a whole uh, yeah we were all very tight and we pretty much just stuck together the whole way through no one quit or anything and we we all got on so so well it was a really special thing to be a part of and we were like right we're all going to take this year out we're going to go back to our different corners of the world yeah because it was like there's guys from new zealand australia serbia a bunch of brits and so we, we all went off and we're like, right, we're going to have a year where we row, we, we get we get better at rowing, we're going to do do other stuff. And of course, someone like Dan Williamson went off and won Olympic gold. Wow. So it just kind of like puts everything into, yeah, yeah. into perspective a little bit. Uh, but I went I went back to Scotland originally. I spent a lot of time there. I was like finishing up online classes. I did summer classes. And then one of my best friends, Noah Normie, is like, right, like my, my coach Franz, Imfeld from from Sydney. He coached me on a gap here. Like he's going to be at Molsey. He says we should come along and we should we should row there for the year and we can work and row. And I was like, yeah, nasty. That's not a bad idea because I'd just been sitting alone at home in, in Scotland, like yeah, been yeah. pretty miserable to be honest. Yeah. And so we we moved down, found this tiny little flat in Kingston, and we were run. I was working like a full time it was an internship but really it was a job in sales which was like a brutal brutal thing and it was great like, i learned so much and it's kind of what allowed me to event like i suppose like have the confidence to, like start my own business yeah. and stuff but on top of that we were training twice a day and it was a it was a crazy year 
that's tough that london work ethic you know like uh terms london molsey the full-time job and the two yeah. sessions is is pretty brutal yeah yeah i mean the the, the bk guys like the thames cup squad uh, um and molsey are just hilarious they're such good guys and like, they train so hard and these guys, there's a bunch of them are doctors and they're working like these crazy hours and they're training either either side of it and so much respect for that yeah and they just managed to have like the best time yeah. i think there there's some of the guys who is like really epitomized like not taking rowing too seriously which is i think one of the keys to being successful and enjoying it at the same time and it not becoming a chore because we'll see it's like i'm i'm moving down as i'm i'm pretty new to this more like full-time rowing thing but you look at those guys and their rowing is what gives them a kind of like spark they like they look yeah. forward to practice they look forward to the, like the the chat that they can give each other and and they want it it'd be much easier if they like just went home after yeah. after a day <laughs> yeah but like you said yeah that makes that's in a way that and then you can do it for longer like maybe not at the top 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 level mm-hmm. but yeah if you can enjoy it then you can kind of do it for longer and yeah i think there is a way to 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 enjoy it but then if, if you want to get right to the top yeah not that it's not fun but then obviously there's a things get more and more serious the higher you get on yeah also like getting a, a sales job is a brilliant move it's always like what i recommend to people like it teaches you so many skills like just outside of like just the work effort that you get that you can just transfer into life like like you said the confidence talking to people etc so thinking on the spot yeah. that kind of thing yeah because it's one of the things from rowing that it, tra- it actually transfers quite well because for a lot of people it's very daunting if, if I said to you, right, you're going to sit here and you're going to make 100 calls mm. and 10 people will pick up the phone and half of those people like tell you to get lost mm. and like the rest of you, you've got to make it count. You've got to you have a conversation and you're in the end, you, there's a good chance that you're still going to get rejected. Mm. And then you have to do the exact same thing again the next day. There's like not many people yeah. who can do that. But I'm like, well, compared to, it's like, well, if I can do this in a few hours, it's like, it's not that different to... I, it's more interesting than sitting on an erg for a few hours right? <laughs> yeah. and so it's like I get to talk to people it's fine so also that, I love that you just that's such a rare mentality that someone just come up to you and be like not many people can do this you're like well I'm going to do it like, <laughs> I don't have much choice honestly it was like one of the few jobs that came up really and like, I guess like I got, I got into it and yeah it ended up being quite serious i was like working in an e-commerce logistics startup and i ended up kind of like helping them build this entire sales department and it was something i if i'd just been a yale for four years i could easily have coasted and be like oh, i'll probably be fine at the end i'll figure that out when i in my last year but when in your last year if you just rode every summer like you don't actually have that much to talk about mm-hmm. but suddenly i had a whole year worth of work that i could talk about which is like is one of the things that like not not many people have and something i yeah. knew i knew what i wanted to do i knew what i didn't want to do i knew that i didn't want to go straight into working a desk job because when i was doing that all i was looking forward to doing was going rowing and that was the one thing that like kept me sane when you're like locked inside oh, yeah you know and so i was like hey that is when i realized like actually no i do want to keep going with this because that's that's kind of when i realized that i like loved it I think because before that I was always like, yeah, it's like, it's fine. I love being around the guys. I love racing. I love winning, but it's like, yeah, but I like, I want to do other stuff. I want to do other stuff. I want to get on with my, I don't want to be like stuck doing this. And then that's when I realized rowing can be. You can feel like it's like, uh, like stuck. You get, you're stuck there. It's like all all I can do. Yeah. 
I said that a lot of people like that I know have rode maybe like had a break and gone and done other stuff and like, oh, I hated that job or I hated doing that or that was such a waste of time. And it's like, nah, like knowing what you don't want is also can also be pretty useful. I mean, you had that experience with your work. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I long story short, I ended up working uh, full time at uni and ended up going to no he lectures. Managed, he managed to get himself a postgrad position while still at uni just by like chatting his way into the interview. Yeah, basically, that's the sales mindset. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> no, it is. Yeah, just I sold himself. I basically rocked up to an interview, and they were like, "Do you have a degree?" No, this isn't for you. Goodbye. And I was like, "Well, I kind of need a job." So I ended up working there for three years after being asked out of an interview. But then I've learned so much, and it was great, and there's great people, etc. But like, I've just really realized like this is not what I want to be doing full time, long term. I don't see myself you know snoozing away the next 15 years and just waking up and like still going to a cubicle so yeah. no absolutely um it's, it's it's very good to know like what you don't want but um would you say that's helped your rowing as well in the in the like the non-underwater aspects like having that work ethic and also like well obviously you don't want to like sit down and do 100 calls let's say but you just you just got to do it right so it's kind of like but does that discipline transfer over to the sport as well would you say yeah definitely because i think in rowing you get trained to have a very like you put in the work you get the success right it's like it's like if you do an extra 20k in the yoga week like you're gonna get better scores than you would otherwise and so it's like if i put if i make those extra 10 calls i will do better and you under you understand that that correlation that even when you make 90 calls and like no one picks up that like you can keep on that it's like oh if it's the the marginal gains and stuff as well that like really makes really makes the big yeah yeah I love but yeah definitely it definitely <laughs> um, yeah definitely playing the averages isn't it yeah you can have 90 missed in a row but if you keep going eventually you'll get one and you'll get one yeah. and it's that kind of the same thing with rowing you can have a load of bad races and bad training and bad 2k's but you just keep plugging away yeah. and eventually the weight of all that training will turn into something Absolutely. Yeah. So at which point did you know that you were allowed to go back to America for another year? I think like, I suppose about half, once we were, once there was the vaccinations and stuff, like we're like, okay, it looks like it's going to be normal-ish. Ish, yeah. Next year we'll be able to go back. We were, we were calling, we were on the phone with Steve, who was going a bit crazy that year because he's like, he loves coaching with every inch of his being. And he's like, and he was talking, I think he was like already writing lineups for the full one. Like they had an incoming recruiting class. Yeah. And we've met some of those guys. And so it was starting to be real that we could could actually have something. And we had like a few other guys from my class came and lived with us as well. And so we were like getting really excited about having coming back. We were going by that point, the under 23 trials process was was picking up. But round about a similar time, I like I heard my knee just cycling to windsor on a mountain bike that wasn't set up for me yeah and like it like i remember like alice claire was talking about doing this sitting down ski erg and i had to do like i was doing that for a month like right before trials and it was just we've been working so hard this the entire year erging our tiny little kitchen in kingston where i like i would lean back and i like i would like hit my head even on the wall behind us and then we'd like clear everything up and we'd cook in the same room and we'd like eating this tiny little sitting room and it was it was a grind and then you're working you, we wake up at like 5 30 we cycle in to Mosey, whatever the weather and i was like all this work that i put in 
am I, I'm not gonna be able to trial and I'm not, and like thank with enough physio and stuff. Um, Simon, who was at Morsey at the time, he was amazing. I was like, slow, I was able to get back in the boat for trials. Um, my poor Paris partner, Noah Norman, like we've been going really well up until then. We've been like doing some great times and everything. And suddenly I was, there's no matter how much sitting down a ski erg you can do, you're not going to be boat fit. And I like, I was in a lot of pain, so I couldn't row long sessions. And we just had to do this, like the, the last pairs regassa before final trials. Mm-hmm. And we just hung on. I was in stroke. And he's like, come on, like you can push it up a little bit. And I'm like, I've never like felt so unfit in a race. And, that, and so we managed to like just scrape into final trials. And then so final trials was a few weeks later. And I was like, I, I managed to go sub six for the first time earlier that year. And like, I don't think I would, I wouldn't be anywhere near that if I'd had to go on the NERG. And so it was probably, I think it was probably one of the longest ever, like under 23 weeks of seat racing ever. Cause they kept being like, okay, you got to come back the next day. You got to come back the next day. And it was, it was like 25 degrees plus oh. every day. And I was just so worn down. And so I like scraped, I was like the last seat race, like scraped into that team pretty much. Yeah. yeah. But it's like, you so, so easily could have gone the other way. That's where you want to be though. Last man in is. The yeah, best, exactly. The best exactly. Man. But it, yeah, it made what eventually happened that year even more, even more special. I think. Yeah, it's a good one. So, um, when did you find out you were in the eight? I think Shep said we're going to try some combinations. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna. Yeah, exactly. I went straight to the three seat. I think originally, and then oh, yeah? they re-rigged it. I was in two. So, oh. uh, but I was like, yeah. So I found out they they pushed it out, and they were. They were sea racing one last set of guys for that eight, and at that point, I think I like I knew I was okay, but I was so like I don't think they even had me doing anything because I was just like lying on the side, pretty much like can't do anything else really. Because um, I think yeah, that whole campaign, I was like I didn't <laughs> didn't feel very fit, and it only really all like came together right right at the end. But yeah, I was just I was happy to be there. So your first under twenty threes, you go out to Rochita. It's a it's a course that I haven't been on, but Tom has for his it was first my under first under twenty threes. I did there, yeah, yeah, a few similarities here. Yeah, it's good. It's all right course. It's sort of like um, Eastern Block, but it's not too bouncy. Yeah, it's not like Ghent or anything like that. It's kind of a bit concretey, but it's yeah, it's not a bad course. Yeah, it's a good course. No concrete bathtub. Yeah, it's hot. Yeah, it makes it hot. Yeah, so fast times. Mm-hmm. What time did you get? It wasn't even that quick. I, like in the end, I think it was like six thirty. No, not six thirty, five thirty. Like, um, well, yeah, obviously okay. five thirty. But yeah, yeah. I was going to say, yeah. So, did you I go mean, into? Yeah. Well, I guess I think we had a bit like the wind. The wind was swinging yeah. around. We no, I must have. Must have. It doesn't matter what your in, time in is. In all my races, it has. Isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter what the time is. If you end up with the gold medal, like the time yeah. doesn't matter. Absolutely. So, I wanted to ask, like, did you go into that race expecting to to get a gold, or what? Were, what were kind of the expectations set on the team? I was always completely confident. And even in the race, I was completely confident. And I think we just had, we were paddling around and like, there was just such a confidence in that boat. Maybe it was unjustified. I think like we'd done some good times at Caversham that was faster than the eight the year before, which had won. And so I was like, oh, well, we're definitely going to win, right? And I saw the US lineup. I'm just like, oh, they're like, they can well be that good. Like we should have them. We've got all these, we had like Tobias, Schroeder going like 550, Felix Drinkle, like Cat, like Callum Sullivan, who had won the year before. And so I just had so much confidence in those guys. Mikey Dalton and Stroke was oh, absolutely yeah. savage. 
and when he's firing like nothing's stopping him so i'm like all i've got to do is sit here and just do the thing it, it felt good but then i guess before so dan graham got sick in the four and so callum sullivan our six man had to jump in in for the semi and also the fours final earlier that day and they ended up getting bronze and it was like a pretty tough race and so he, he was tired coming in wow and that should have probably scared me a lot more but i was still like we're still gonna be fine we're gonna like we're gonna <laughs> you got to you got to yeah. use that you got to use every every advantage you can get and like i don't think many people have ever won thinking they're not gonna like yeah. it doesn't matter if you are or you're not like you don't you, you can't put everything of yourself in if you don't think you've got a chance of winning so whatever it takes to get yourself in that mindset that's what you need to do especially when you start the first 500 and you're behind yeah i mean we'll, we were like four in that race we we're at fourth with maybe even like 600 to go yeah something like that and i remember looking across and be like oh, like, oh wow like we might not medal like let's go <laughs> <laughs> but I, that race we were sprinting from 750 to go yeah we've watched it quite a lot so we were uh we were coaching at oxford college a couple of years ago and um starting to do more work with coxes and i'm like i'm not a cox so i need to do a bit of research on this and one of the videos that came up was scott cockles put it on with mm -hmm. the with the recording and it's just for me like a great example of like um controlled aggression yeah. it's like a lot of great like a lot of people think coxing is just like screaming and shouting and it's like there's volume there but like there's also a lot of control to do with it um so we watched it quite a lot and it even became there's a few little like sayings that came out of it like what and we ended up saying something that i don't think actually gets said i think we just combined quite a lot of his yeah things into like good fucking rhythm yeah. mikey right? yeah so what, that was one of the catchphrases yeah so he used to yeah. shout this so one of our athletes who's now he's now training at cambridge she'll hear this good fucking rhythm is what we used to talk to our, our stroke seat so yeah no yeah. that that was such a good example because like also the confidence portrayed by the cox like yeah. we know we're fast we stick to our race plan we just have to be first before the line well he was lying to us as well i think if you watch yeah. that back he's like you're one seat down we were like half a length down, right but <laughs> yeah. i was like yeah we are like it doesn't seem like it but like yeah here we go that's the mark of a good cox is knowing how much to lie like you yeah. can't you have to have your crew has to have a faith in you you can't say like yeah yeah we've got contact and then and then be like no nah, we yeah. don't so like there's a there's an amount that you can but scotty c was amazing like he stock hockle I'm sure lots of people have seen his stuff on TikTok. Mm. And I think like, he got even better the next year because he went and coached at Brown for a year. And I think it just helped him understand rowing even more. So he had that calmness. And then he also added an entire like deeper understanding yeah. of technical kind of know-how. So which is why he's a great, great guy to learn from. Yeah, I think also we use that as sort of an example of like when a cox can make a difference. Obviously, like in Bub's racing, cox is really quite important. And I think like it's something that in rowing people will do sometimes will shut a cox down and be like, oh, you can't win this, but you can lose it. You know, if you mess up, you can lose it, but you're not actually rowing, so you can't win it. And like, that's such a good race to be like, he, he, there was nine people who won that race. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Feast your eyes on this. Yeah. 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 So at any point, did you, well, I know you said that you, you thought you might not medal, but like, when was it actually, when did it actually like set in that you were like, fuck, we've, we've got it, it's gold. Like two strokes from the line. I, I remember 750 like we called our tier one but w which was like like guys like, you have to go now That's early if you it was early early and i remember just sprinting sprinting we were slowly moving through the germans and i was like looking over the two men in the u.s boat was a yale guy who like i'm good friends with, but we definitely had a bit of a rivalry going and i was like just looking at him being like he's still like a seat up on me i'm i'm going as hard as i can like, sprinting as hard as i can and we're not moving 
and then slowly we start like oh suddenly we're like we're level like it's working but it's like it's not quick enough it's not quick enough and you just really spread and you can see them like really going for it and suddenly we were level and still going and it was really like the last two strokes where we just like edged out ahead and it was okay and it was like i think the one time in my rowing career where i finished a race and i was like i'm done like this is a this is where i'm gonna retire (laughs) (laughs) just because i was like that was so awful like i never want to feel like this again and i remember like falling back and like noah it was our battle was like hugging me and i i couldn't breathe and i was like this is that that was amazing but like i'm i'm done <laughs> and then very quickly i'm like oh actually that's quite cool i can't wait to go back <laughs> and do it again so, you forget the pain quite quickly yeah 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 but it was brutal mm. what what a way to finish off an incredible season right and especially with like all that well two seasons of work really without getting to race like in the middle of it so no that's uh it's a pretty pretty nice way to be crowned world champion for the first time yeah definitely it got me very excited about going back and doing it again because i was like oh i've got two more years of this i could i could like do something here you know yeah like, um, and it's like under 23s is such a fun kind of campaign to be on because the standard of rowing is really high and especially right at the top it's like, i don't think it's too far off see the senior standard not at all no now um they we used to run separate under 23 gold medal times and then like sinkovich is one yeah. both in a year and it's like okay nah you just run off senior gold medal times yeah mm-hmm. but like yeah it's so much fun because there's there's guys from all the different u.s unis uk unis and it comes together and it creates a kind of like hilarious mashup of everyone like trying to figure each other out they're like 50 different catchphrases and that kind of thing oh yeah exactly i think it's just a good it's a pretty like fun period of time like project like three weeks like it's short enough that everything counts so you everyone's really focused and they're really on it you're kind of in that honeymoon period you're rowing with good guys so like for the most part you are gonna kind of make some speed and like i feel like compared to other projects like other times i said been at leander you're running an h project for four or five months like you great you find some speed and then you start like nah then it gets really hard to find that next bit and then I sort of it dips and like oh it's just another 16k I can't be asked but where do you say you were staying in the Riders Hotel still oh we were oh, in the I think head. we were in the Majeski oh but oh, that was right. that year it, what made it even more crazy was like half the team got sent home because of COVID so there was no women's eight there was no quad they sent a double instead so like a bunch of people wow. didn't get a chance to go and like the whole team would have done really well but we were we were sitting there being like are we gonna get sent home because the women's eight got sent home through like such a precarious link that like someone's boyfriend had been near the Leander physio who had who had COVID really? and then they were like pretty much axed because of that yeah. and I think like we had someone who'd like been in the same room as them or something and so we're like like hopefully they don't turn your phone off yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, cool. So having won, obviously, so going back to Yale again, but like in terms of your rowing career, like you said, from this point, you've just kind of been enjoying it, seeing how it goes. Having the gold medal, did that start to make you think about taking it further or anything you wanted to do after seniors? And like you said, like, right, I've got a couple more years under 23s, but are you now sort of transitioning into like thinking about taking this in as a career or taking it more seriously? Or are you still able to just keep enjoying it? Like, would that be the secret for you? I definitely did start to like... I- by that point, I think I like did have those aspirations, especially because at that time of Yale, there were like three, four, five guys who'd like been at the Olympics for their countries. Like Dan, Dan had won gold at New Zealand. 
Jack Lopez had been in the double. Andrew Gurlich, now world champion in the pair, mm. was there in the four. Yeah. And like all those guys, like they'd been there, done that. And I was like, if they can do that, I'm like not that far off them where I could do that. Mm-hmm. You know, like if I if I keep getting better, because it's like yeah, it's like I'm no Jack Lopez or Andy, but like yeah. But I was like, I was in both. We'd be in fours or pairs that were like similar speed or, and I was like, I and I thought that I could, but like if I had a chance, I could probably go and yeah, yeah, like, go and get them. I've had a lot of. We've heard other people, John Collins, asked a few people talking about like when you get to sort of physically see that distance. Like, hang on, like yeah, they're beating me, but like. It's it's yeah. only there like yeah. now like people you know the expression touching distance like you're kind of like yeah and it makes it more real in your yeah. head and I got a lot stronger that year like to the to the extent where by the end of the year I was like I believed a lot more in myself where I was like you know actually like I could like I could take on these guys and like it was a it was a hard year for me because I was getting swapped sides a lot we were like because I, because I I could row both sides Steve was like oh actually we need you on this side we need you on this side actually you're rubbish on bow side stroke side is your side this is where we need you and i get like thrown in the 2v for a race and i'm like i'm bet i beat these guys in sea races i like so it was mentally that that year in terms of rowing was actually quite tough because i just felt i wasn't really getting the the chances that consistency that, that i that i deserved especially because i was yeah, like, I'm, I'm the fittest i've ever been like it was yeah it was tough and it all it all ended up working out fine yeah and, yeah. and i could go do gb and like we we won the four decently that year and i was like see like i am a top guy you know it's like i'm not yeah. like some well possibly credit guy. credit to steve for trying to like anger you up a little bit to try and light up the flame and try and get more out of you right yeah that's that's all that was his whole thing and i think like there'd be a lot of people who you meet in right and i'm like you would not do well under steve because you like you have to have thick skin because he's gonna yeah. he's gonna put you to it right and, yeah and it's because he wants you to be like no like you like you're wrong i'm not as shit as you say i am i'm gonna prove you wrong and like then you go you're gonna go and like try and break the break the oar yeah. you know and he'll do it and he'll be like oh yeah like you were pretty much a novice last year like and like say and he like he knows what he's doing yeah yeah yeah. And or you'll like pretend like pretend not to know that you like won a seat race or something, and like and yeah. he's just doing it so that you're like you're always on the offensive because like I think what made him so successful was like never playing defense. Yeah, is what is one of the kind of things he would say is like we are that. always on the attack, we're always out to guess it. I absolutely love that. Yeah, and that's that's what made his DL cruise and like so good. And then the guys like like kind of my big like rowing heroes are the guys in the GB team at the moment because like Steve just speaks with about them with like such high respect he's like the guys like Sholto Charlie like Ollie Wynn Griffiths he's like those guys were just savages you know they like never never let off and so like we were just trying to trying to be like them really yeah yeah it's interesting that though you said that obviously you wanted to you only started believing in yourself like after having a world championship gold medal like after like your third campaign Obviously, like there are some people who, like Jack Bowman, who said that they kind of wanted to skip being an under twenty-three altogether and just go straight to the senior team. But I guess with being at Yale and like seeing where you were, like uh, in the distance, like to the Olympians, you didn't, you didn't feel like skipping that gap. No, really. It, like I guess it wasn't. I never really saw it as an option. And I like that whole year at Yale, the, the Aussies were all being like, "Oh, we're going to do an under twenty-three A. We're going to go and like beat you guys." 
and they didn't <laughs> yeah, yeah which is great like they went and lost like um to the gv under 23 which is great because they, they needed that kick and that like i think they got a pretty a lot of those guys at yale that they, they fit in really well because they're like very like gung-ho and like steve loves that and everything they're bigger and everything and i was like i like i don't know the the british a lot of the british way of rowing and like how i was kind of taught to row was like you want to l- make it look like you're not trying too hard and just be like firing down below instead of like really being like very like yeah let's go and like that's definitely been like instilled into me more mm-hmm. uh from being in the u.s but like it was nice so what are like some of top steve's catchphrases that you could remember i mean one that like just every time i get in a boat comes into my head it's like the eyes inform the body like a lot of coaches will tell you not to look out your blade he's like if he tells you to look at your blade you look at it every single stroke for the rest of that session and if not, if you don't and you take a bad stroke, he's going to be like, I told you to do that. You just took a shit stroke. Like, well, those aren't varsity strokes. Like, I'm not going to have a guy like that yeah, in, yeah. The, in the boat. And it's it's that, like, that forces you to make the change, you know? And he's like, and if someone, whoa, them, was like in a boat, like, oh, like, coach, I, I can't do it. Like, I, and he's like, you can't or you won't. <laughs> which is like, just so, which is like true. And I think, a lot of people in rowing won't like being taught to like that. But it is. It's like so much stuff in rowing is breaking muscle memory. All these bad habits that you have is, oh, I've been doing this for so long. And I still have all these bad habits, but I'm like, can I not do this? Or will I just not do it because I haven't trained yeah. it hard enough? Yeah, I haven't yeah. sat in the tank. I haven't like stared at myself in the mirror on the erg, like just rocking over like for all that time. And there's there's just too many... Like, there's so many Steveisms, which is, you, you could have a whole pub, like a whole. Um, yeah, well, at some at some point, we might get all you yell boys rounded up together, like get Charlie, Tom, uh, Ollie, etc. in the in the room, and well, and Shul's gonna come on anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah sure, like one time of practice, because he's he likes his guns and uh, he's just su- such an interesting character who I was always just fascinated with, and everyone on the team just respects him so much. Because just the way he talks, he captivates you all. He's a great coach in, in like all aspects of, of life, as well as just just rowing. And I remember Mike came up and said, "Yeah, like Coach Gladstone's not going to be a practice today," which was strange because he's like never missed practice. But it's because he'd like shot a hole through his hand at the shooting range. He's like gone, his gun had got jammed, and he'd gone to check it, and it'd, it'd like gone off. And then he's there at practice the next day, like profusely apologizing because he because he missed practice. Wow. But he's like, yeah. Ah, it's yeah. Coach is different breed. Yeah, yeah. My school rowing coach managed to set himself on fire. He used to like fixing old cars. <laughs> and he was like down in a pit and um, he'd been working with gas. So all the gas has like gone down into mm-hmm. the pit and then he's, he dropped a torch. Basically like set himself on fire, stuck in a pit underneath with the car on top. <laughs> so to like drag himself out. And we had like school's head like two days later. We hear about this, like obviously he's not going to come. Turns up a school's head with his head like fully bandaged. Both his hands are like completely bandaged up. Like and like you you take power from that. You're like, hang on. Yeah. <laughs> this guy's burnt himself bad and like he's here. Like I'm gonna put it down. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well talk about setting the standard for the rest of the team and an example to follow. Like if you can't look up to your coach, it's going to be a lot harder to come together as a career, especially like when that when that other boat you're racing or dueling is starting to get a seat up or two. Like oh, yeah. I'm sure you must have had like some close races at Yale when obviously I don't know. The team did like some kind of crazy push, or you've overturned, overturned like an, a result that that wasn't supposed to happen, or were you just like always oh, the top dogs, the favourites? 
Well, we definitely had it in the varsity, I guess. Like we always thought of our like we we would never like call ourselves the favorites i think because it's like you want to have that underdog mm. mentality and you like you have to like steve would never let you have that because once you're complacent you're gonna lose right and like that's that's what made those yale crews of 17 18 19 so good because they were so hungry like those guys and they were like we're gonna prove all these all these teams wrong like when they won and we definitely like each our duel with princeton last year like Princeton were fast last year. Princeton were normally like not very good, and they we got up and then like they did this huge push at the K and they rode through us and they were like half length up on us, and it's the kind of like the, the confidence that he put in us. It was like no, if if you rode long, if you guys if you rode strong in that last um, like seven fifty, you're gonna keep moving through people. If we just row longer than them and we row better and we like if we're just tougher. And we know that because at practice every day we've been racing mixed boats or 1v2v mix where you're both absolutely going at it and the lead's changing back and forth. So like if someone gets in front of you and you don't panic, you're like, okay, now we go to work. We know what they just put in to get it. Like, let's go and get them. Yeah, yeah. It's but not- in terms of like looking up to him, like he works he works out. He's like, he's like 82, 82 years old. And I remember my freshman year, him coming down to the dock and being like, oh, like, like Charlie, how many press-ups can you do? Like Charlie L is in, he's like, or like one of those top, top guys. And he's like, let's have a push-up competition. And they're like, <laughs> and he drops down and he's like, just smashes out like 40 push-ups. And whoever is like, we don't do any weights or anything. Whoever it is, is like flopping around. And he's just like, <laughs> just goes and absolutely like. Tough lad. Yeah. He's, I like it. I like that quote, um, boss is boss and leaders lead. Yeah. And like, that's, yeah, you're right. Like that's how you kind of show your guys like uh put it and like that's the perfect way to do it is to put it out there like come on you think you're big i'm 82 yeah like let's see it yeah that's awesome yeah one story yeah you must be having loads of fun with um <laughs> with that kind of group of guys like, we used to have okay we used to go on cycling uh uh early pre-season at leander we'd do like a couple of cycle rides and we had a coach who loved cycling but we'd be like beasted so we're like doing like three sessions monday three sessions tuesday you got your half hour rate 20 on wednesday and then like thursday morning second session we go out on the bike so we were like, obviously hanging. He turns up fresh, just like rinses us. He's good. He's a good cyclist anyway. But uh, yeah, just like, I think it's good sometimes to take the opportunity to, like you said, like don't get complacent. Don't let your squad get a little bit too too much. And like, we spoke again with a lot of people, like that underdog mentality is is worth so much. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's always interesting when people will have to like, lose that you know we talked to tim foster yeah. like you know you're wearing in the four with with red grape you can no longer be like underdog mentality yeah, exactly, <laughs> yeah. there's a certain yeah. point where it has to go and that changes that changes it a lot but i do really love what you said about with the underdogs with like we're rowing with an underdog mentality but like always on the offense like what a yeah, way to i guess be. maybe it's like a year there were probably times where it wasn't so much the underdog mentality because i always had that at azra i always had because we were always like well we weren't necessarily smaller but we were probably weaker we were in a crappy boat and so it's like we always really had that where it was like the blood pocky underdog uh, yeah it was like we would like ra- race as we train and so it seemed to be like i've prepared you perfectly for this race now just go and execute uh, like it will and you will do it and he would just like go forth yeah and so his team talks were always very much like that and it's just driven yeah so it was like in the race it was like we are if we just do what we've done in practice and we do it to the best of our abilities then like that's that's gonna be that's all we can do yeah 
So then coming back after um, winning your first under 23 gold, then you said you ended up in a four. How did that come about? Can you talk a little bit about that campaign? Yeah, that four, oh my gosh, we, I guess it came from the product of kind of a Henley campaign. We came back, there's always an, an, a group of American U23 rowers who will come back and like Shep like has a look at us and we do a few different things. We do do a few ergs, which would normally do dreadfully hard because we haven't been on the erg for a while. Yeah, yeah. And he has a look and like we got put in this, this Henley boat with Calvin and Dow who'd won the pair the year before. And then at the time it was Harry Geffen who just finished his first year at Yale, but he'd stroked the Eaton eight before and he's he was he was already doing really well uh, back then. And we got like right, you're doing Henley, and I'd I'd rode on stroke side that year, and they're like, oh well, we kind of need a bow sider, so if you go back on bow side, that'd be great. So I swapped. It was like the week before Henley, they swapped me back around, and I remember doing pieces of the wind like wow, like four hours, like stamping <laughs> up and everything. But we're starting to go quite well, and yeah. we entered the visitors. We had we had, like it was a really fun boat to race actually. Like I remember trying to we just couldn't paddle it around Henley. It was so sort of washy and that, but like we just. We had a really we had a really fun regatta, but we couldn't steer. There was just Harry Geffen was steering in the bow. He's he's what, probably 18, 19 years old. And we would go off and like we were fast enough that we'd get ahead and so it wouldn't really matter. But we were like, oh like, what is going on? Yeah, yeah. And we were like, oh, but it's fine. We we checked the steering a few times and he was like, Oh yeah, it's okay. I'll just I'll just keep it over. And so we'd be we raced some Oxford crews, which was like some great racing. It was fun to fun to race those guys and we made it the final we were racing university of washington and we get up and like we we managed to move away we were like open water up going like probably with like 500 nice. 500 meters to go and our steering at that point just starts to like oh. wobble around and it's like throwing us off a bit and at that point it's like i can feel my like, inside arm starting to cramp up but it's like we've been having a great race so far and at that point you think it's oh, like I'm gonna win Henley. Is that I'm gonna like I can't believe this. And we didn't even think we we're gonna be here, and suddenly the steering just like really starts to wobble. And then I guess with the like the, what they call it the travel ace there on, right. on the inside, like <laughs> it was we were past two k, and suddenly Washington just start motoring through there, like just jack up. And they like they had some really good rowers in that crew, and with like and our steering is just like all over the place, and with two strokes again before the line they, they come through us and that i think that was the first ever race i'd lost on the sprint because it had always been something i was like quite good at I was like, i can get it in and i can sprint through which is like often just a way that like something you haven't paced a race very well <laughs> yeah, yeah. but like that that it was just devastating and that was the most devastating race i had my whole time because i was like we we could have won we were i guess the second fastest visitors crew ever to that UW crew we were like a second or two off the stewards race before like wow. we we knew we were decent and it was like we just messed it up and which was hard and so coming in that we had some seat racing swapped out it was really close but swapped out harry geffen for theo darlow and we went so it was like that junior four from 2018 with me in instead of mikey dalton which is like very big boots to fill so i like yeah. i didn't actually feel the pressure of it there yeah yeah but it was good like we were going well in the gmt runs we were probably like you know beat the quad a few times and nice. <laughs> like you're like yeah this is this is going well and so that was a really that was a really fun campaign actually we were coached by franz Infeld, who just like set us up really well 
and we end up getting the getting the goal there, which was which was a nice one. How was the final? Was it, it was a bit of an easier win or? It was a bit, like, yeah. I, I, it's never, it's yeah, never easy, yeah. but it's like we we were quick. I think it's like it was going to be a huge tail, and Braze is quite a quick course, yeah. and I, I was like, we could break the record. We could break the under twenty three record here. Like we were pretty excited because like some of the bursts we were doing, like wow, like, if we can like hold that. We could do it, and then we start the race, and suddenly the headwind comes in. <laughs> like, oh, well, that's fine. I'll just like swing on it a little bit, and. Yeah, it like it wasn't an easy race, but it was it, like we did we just we executed. It, it wasn't as close as, as either of the other yeah. two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, two ones. Well, no, that's that's absolutely awesome. So at that point, you might be like, okay, I've got two. What's next? Are you are you starting to like really eye up that third year or like? Are you like, listen, Shep, I'll come back, but it's got to be the pair. <laughs> I definitely was. I think like one of the main things like I'd never got to row for Yale at Henley. And I wanted the Yale Blazer because the only way you get a Yale Blazer is if you row for Yale at Henley. Okay. And I was like, well, I want to do, by that point, I was like, I definitely want to try and make the team. And so I was like, I'm, I want to keep rowing. I've done, I did like an internship that summer as well. So I felt like I was kind of like managing things okay. And we were like, well, one of the best ways for us to do Henley for Yale, because we weren't going to send a crew, was like, we could do the pair because maybe, because there's the rule that you can't, do under 23s if you like if you do henley with your us uni and so i was like well am i gonna have to choose but i was like well what if we did the pair and then we could race for yale and we could like it's like and we could do all sheps camp and everything Mm -hmm. and and also as well people have said like if you can prove that you can move the pair well then that's a good step up yeah it's a a good sign for uh for seniors because i guess it's what was it nash and like Stan or someone in like before before they came into like the London 2012 yeah, yeah, yeah. and they went and like one under under 23 is pretty convincingly and then so that's what kind of like gave them a leg up mm-hmm. and a shot at the team apparently yeah well you're just like it's how you're gonna trial and there's no like say no to high like if you do well it's just on you two guys yeah but also like I knew it was gonna be fun to try and get the three and it was gonna be it was gonna be the most challenging mm-hmm thing as well and we had no idea like we we don't really row pairs at Yale like we've been out a few times in New London where we have the Harvard Yale Boathouse mm-hmm. like where like we have Gales our Gales Ferry compound and like about a mile down the river is Red Top which is where Harvard trains and we're both out at the same time we got loads of time to kill so Harry Geffen and I were like right we're gonna go out in the pair and there's this naval base like down by the bridge near the start and there's it's like the u.s atlantic submarine fleet and so every time we row past there's like these gunboats that go along like the side like pretty much training the gun at you making sure you don't go too close even in the race and everything which is crazy wow but we harry and i we, like it was like our first session out and we're like oh we'll just paddle up to the sub base and back and so we go we're like wobbling along it's like pretty pretty washy and it was like it was a bit calmer around there so we're like doing a few bursts we're like yeah this can we could do this and we'll, like we'll get better by under 23s and then suddenly one of the there's a boat coming up river really quickly and we're like oh what's going on there and like the machine gun boat is suddenly there with a guy on the front of it and he's like firing the machine gun at this boat which is like swerving up the river and we're sitting there in the pair being like no one even knows we're here like we didn't tell the coaches we we're just like we just wow. like, hopped out and we're like, is this like World War Three starting? 
And we're just sitting there watching, and I'm like, it must be a drill, right? And we're like, I don't know. But then this boat like swerves out of the way and it's coming towards us. So we're like trying to like tap it into the bank. And like, the so the gun's like, it's flashing, it's so loud. And I'm like, well, this bo- this other boat looks okay. And there's no sirens or anything. So it's like, I presume it is a drill. And that's what it turned out to be. But we were like, we had a lot of adrenaline on the road. <laughs> but like, it was Bloody just ass. so bizarre. You, you, don't, you don't get that run run at Henley <laughs> but, <laughs> no but I guess if you had a machine gun uh, boat following you instead of the what do you call it the, um, at Henley the boat that follows you yeah the Empire's boat yeah yeah, the, the Empire's boat has a gun on it yeah, <laughs> yeah I guess you'd take off pretty far I it'd help Harry steer a bit straighter <laughs> <laughs> did his steering improve it must have was he steering the pit well yeah we crashed into the booms um, the next year when we were racing racing Tom and Ollie Oh, oh you yeah. raced Tominelli, yeah, and because we did the goblets, like, and yeah, yeah. and then like obviously they were going to beat us. <laughs> they were yeah, yeah. We, we went off like really hard off the start, and like we were just so happy. We we're like, oh, this is so cool. We get to race those guys, and they're all like serious on the start. And I think kind of where I like deal with nerves is like, I'm just like chat. I just keep talking and everything, mm-hmm. and like they're like all super serious. And it was like so cool, so cool to race them. But that was the same race. It got restarted halfway because the harvard crew pulled out in front oh uh, yeah, yeah so, the old boys crew who is it who's talking about that someone um, someone on the podcast yeah. was telling us about it yeah. and so they started us like three lengths down and i was like, oh, like surely we can like, restart and maybe not crash into the booms this time but again we're <laughs> we're always gonna like, lose to those guys but we were like again we were just happy to be there we weren't we weren't very good in the pair yeah at henley like it took um again franz was coaching us again and it took him a fair bit of like beating us into into shape to be able to just like relax and not not yank on it yeah yeah no i i, I saw a few videos of um you preparing for the under 23 campaign like with france like standing over the ergo just making you do like as fast as you can like 500 like just starts practice <laughs> oh yeah that was a bit silly i think but like france was like he said i'll just do a few bursts or something and he's like do a 500 and he's like what do you think you could do for that i'm like i can probably run like 118 and he's like no you can't like go and do it so I, like, I had to like i had to actually go and try yeah, yeah. actually go and try to do it but you beat that didn't you you got i went yeah i went like 118 or something yeah. so it was good next cut prep we saw it as like, that's pretty impressive but aren't they racing in like a week <laughs> yeah, <I> know. <laughs> know nah, the things you do on training camp yeah yeah, yeah i've definitely when there's a camera there and you need content <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah I definitely i did a one year we'd uh we'd literally like just finish off like our last session before we were going to go and pack out and then we ended up in the gym stretching and then a hundred meter road competition starts kicking off yeah. and the coach comes in it's like what the hell like <laughs> what the hell are you doing <laughs> like i don't know it's just someone said they could beat me and that was that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so i guess so you at henley you still felt like you haven't quite found speed but you managed to get the the yellblazer in your last year in the in, in the pair with harry so like how are you approaching like that last under 23 campaign like knowing like okay we've got some ground to break here and the pairs are really competitive yeah it was like it was a tough campaign i guess in a way like harry and i get on really well so it was always fine he's, he's quite quiet and like originally so like he put me in stroke originally but then it, like it was really silent because like he wasn't saying anything about i was too exhausted being in stroke Mm-hmm. to say anything i was just like trying to get the rate up i was like, really struggling and it was it was going decently they but they would put out some of the other under 23 pairs like pad alongside us and of course those guys like really going for it and all the ut1 stuff and like 
we're just trying to be more like loose and sort of like like are oh, like are we actually this quick is this going to be really embarrassing if we like go and try for this thing but shit like chef was great it's just like yeah you just need to go and own it and we did like we would do bursts and stuff where we're like yes this feels really good and there was a like our last kind of by our last speed run that we did before we flew out we like we did a really good time to the k and like a decent time for 1500 so we're like oh actually like we should be okay and like we we were able to like get a bit of confidence from that okay so you found some speed and then the campaign how did the how did the final ended up playing out the final was fun so i again was very confident and like maybe foolishly so because the two races we had before had been really tight with the italians at first like these we were in the heat and we were way up on them and then they sprinted through us and like they like just got us in the line but we didn't really sprint because i was like what it's the heat why are they it's top two through classic italian sprint. like why like why are they sprinting yeah it's a there's a lot of races along regatta and i think harry was pretty tight because he's in stroke and i was in bow so i was able to like ease it a bit more and then in the semis the australians like really went for us um in the last few hundred as well and i was like yeah it's fine like i, I didn't sprint i didn't sprint it'll be okay and harry's like well, I, I kind of did. I'm pretty tired. <laughs> I was like, no, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. And and France, like France was great with all the data, and we were looking at the line of our of our speed and our race profile, and how we could like hold the line. And so we're like, okay, we're going to hold the line. We're going to like stop the drop off in speed because in pairs like racing, it tends to like go down, especially like it's the difference between under twenty threes and and juniors, and. We're like, okay, if we can just hold this longer than everyone else, we'll be fine. And we had a few technical focuses to do that, but the main one was like hold the line. And I like made that call during the race, and that's like, of course, I had the song like hold the line, duh, duh, duh. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and song. I like nearly like followed up with the second line of that song. I was like, no, I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, how yeah, how are you not found that funny? <laughs> um, but like, yeah, I'm glad I didn't. But we got out and we just pushed out kind of like focusing on like the like last quarter legs, really squeezing it out and we got to like we had a bit of open and i was like yeah right we can do this we can hold on no matter what i'm ready for this i'm ready for a sprint I yeah, yeah. Like come at us and so i was never particularly worried worried because like i wasn't expecting them to come at us that fast so i was like oh we're the grandstands right there they're still a length down and they were, they were coming and they were sprinting and it, like because we hadn't because our whole campaign we were probably only together for like three weeks and so we our mid our mid pace was good but we just didn't we hadn't been together quite long enough to like really jack it up like you can in a pair because we were like racing these twin brothers yeah who have like been together all this time these aussie guys who've been together for like 18 months and they could really just move they were like just but probably better pairs rows than us they could just jack it up jack it up whilst with us it's like it took a long time for us to like get up to that pace and like but by the time we did it was enough time that we could like hold them uh, going across the line but it's much nicer watching a crew come in to yeah. you than like having to be like yeah, yeah. we've got enough you kind yeah. of you can measure yourself a little bit but yeah at the same time i know exactly what you mean like that next gear you feel like it's going to be there but in a pair it just take a little bit more time it's been a little bit more precise with that person to be able to like rinse it up but over the line again third gold feel like sort of wrapped it up the trilogy yeah it was nice i think it was a really nice moment like especially because like I guess there was some pressure in that campaign, but the pair was always going to be a hard. It was always going to be a hard thing to win, and I was I was probably a bit relieved 
yeah su- super proud of harry honestly like he's he's the one who was like driving that thing along he's like such a hard worker like he's he's one of the, he's gonna be an incredible rower yeah. one day and i like i'm excited to row with him again sometime but it was and a yale boy as well like kind of uh the movie ending yeah exactly it was special because it's like we're like we were like the british boys in the yale and there's always a little bit of rivalry between all that and i was and i did like i felt the the pair for me was kind of what revealed to me like you can't it was the first time it wasn't like right place right time mm. because i was like the, the four the year before i was like right i'm with calvin dow and theo like these guys are mm. really good all i have to do is like just not mess it up like and and we'll be okay and like so i to me i hadn't really proved myself that i like had done anything in rowing but with a pair it's like you you can't hide in the pair yeah yeah, yeah. it's like you're you're 50 of that and so i was like see no like i i won this one by myself you know, it's like I am good enough. To, that proved to me that I was like good enough to actually win an under twenty three yeah. gold medal, like in my own right, and not just be like part part of a crew. Yeah. Which maybe like made reflecting on the other ones. I was like, oh, maybe I did have a little bit more to do with the other ones than I than I thought potentially. Like at the time, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, good. it's a difficult mindset. It's always a balance, isn't it, between not yeah not being overconfident, but also a li- allowing yourself a little in enjoyment in your own ability or you know like trust in your own ability i guess well i'm i'm glad that you got the chance to prove to yourself that you are actually you know good enough to win another 23 gold let alone three but like no you've got a fantastic attitude and like that's it's just it's just great to see you know like it's not um you're not trying to i guess i guess what i'm trying to say is that you feel like you've still got like room to go in rowing you've still got like levels to climb levels to you know improve like more mountains to more peaks of mountains to scrape i guess and and no that's just it's just fantastic to see so glad to glad to see that you're back in the uk and excited like obviously what's going to happen next with like the racing obviously the team's like really tight now for for paris they've just done fantastic at world championships but uh again just uh gotta keep training and we never know what's going to happen but uh it's it's on also like so great to like see that um like we've already said before, you know, the the GB squad, both like for the seniors and the Twin Trees juniors, like it's all looking so strong. So it's just really excited to see what the future is going to bring. But as for you and yourself, uh, obviously running Feather and Square, when did that start? How did that come about? And uh, how are you guys doing? So that was a product of the COVID year as well. Like we were... Some good things came yeah, out some, of it. Yeah, some good things <laughs> did come from it. And I think... That year, I was I was working this like pretty intense job. I was speaking, talking to all these really interesting companies, lots of entrepreneurs, and it made me realize it's like, well, it's actually like not business is actually quite simple, really. If you if you can find a good product, because it's like I was speaking to businesses where I'd be like, that is a good, this is a good product, this isn't a good product. There was some some of our like clients, I'm like, yeah, I don't really see how that's going to work, but like, it just gave me a lot of confidence that if you if you found something. Um, that that people really people really needed, mm. then that then like you could really run with that, people, mm-hmm. pe- and that was like a reasonable price as well because it's like kind of the, the service that I was selling like wasn't the cheapest, mm-hmm. and it definitely like wasn't the best either. <laughs> so I was, I was like, oh, imagine if I could sell something that like real that I know really really works, and that like can really really help people so like that that i was like oh well maybe i can do something like that 
And then how did you, yeah, so then how did you find that product? So the way it came about was my hands were always really messed up as a junior. And like, that was one of the things that actually like really stifled a lot of my enjoyment, I think, because I was, I was sitting in class, my hands were cracked and they were bleeding. And everyone's like, ew, like what's, what's wrong with your hands? Like in Scotland, we do like Scottish country dancing as like PE for a few things. And like, none of the girls like want to like touch your hands. Yeah. And it's like, you're like Shrek or something like that. You're like, ew, like that's gross. <laughs> did you hear the day, did you hear the day bell when we were talking about my mate Webby? No. We used to work in the cinema. Right oh, now, yeah, right? I did. And he had to wear the gloves. Yeah. yeah the Mickey Mouse gloves. But no, I was like, exactly. It's like, yeah. I remember. And it's just like easy to be like quite self-conscious. Yeah, that, I guess. And, and it just hurt. Like there were guys in training camp whose hands were getting infected. And it just hurt the entire time. And there was a, like, in Aberdeen, it was cold. Mm. I didn't have right, the right kit. Oh, it's getting it like frosty miserable. and everything. Exactly. Yeah. And I was like, this is just another thing, which is rubbish. Yeah. And like, it was my coach at the time who was like, oh, like, yeah, your hands are rubbish. Like, you need to do something about that. Like, I know some people in climbing that like have a, a similar kind of product. Like, you should try this. And so I started using this. Like kind of climbers bomb like product which like really helped a lot and part, part of the problem is it was quite greasy and everything so it wasn't always great great for rowing but like I, I would use it and it's like sometimes your hands were just so like so bad that it, just, it made such a big difference and suddenly my hands would heal much faster and I could get back to just enjoying it and not just constantly thinking like oh, I can't hold the handle I can't hold the handle yeah I'm in class, my hands are bleeding on my pages as I'm trying to write, I can't hold my pen because you got the ones on your thumbs. Mm. And like, it was just, it was rubbish. And yeah, so I'd been aware of that for a few years, but a lot of the times like, I would like lose my tin and like, then I wouldn't have it and I keep struggling through. And then it was in the COVID year when, um, when I kind of got back on it again, cause my hands were particularly bad. And I think like I, I must just have soft hands because it was awful. It was the point where I was like, I was really not looking forward to rowing. Yeah, yeah. Just because I didn't want to hold the handle because it's like right, I'm gonna have to like tape my hands up to hell. You're you're spending like ten quid on like tape a week. Like yeah. it's definitely not sustainable. And I found that I was like giving out this um, the the thing that I had to like a bunch of bunch of different people. A lot of people who like had like rode a world championships and everything and who'd been rowing for like 10 or plus years and had no idea they just like struggled with their hands the entire time and the conventional wisdom in rowing is oh there's something wrong your hands hurt deal with it row blisters deal with it and like it's like people in a freshers fair come up they're like oh like i i don't know about rowing it's hands and like yeah just be a man and, and take it deal with it they'll toughen up eventually and yeah. i was like it's like there there just is there has to be another way and it's like that's it's very entrenched in it it's like actually quite a big part of rowing culture where it's like we get blisters and they hurt and they suck and like we're so tough for dealing with them it's like you're not tough for dealing with them it's like if you want to do an actual tough sport go play like rugby or is it like something where you're actually getting hurt yeah. physically like go go play I don't know, like any physical sport. Yeah, like, good Rowing is mentally tough and it's physically painful in a race, but it's like, you just don't need to be hurting in other other areas. And I was like, that's that's wrong. And it was like Lenny who, Lenny Jenkins, who co-founded it with me, he's a good friend from Yale who's a few years above me, incredible rower. He'd won a few 
national championships out there. He was visiting us in London and he's like, yeah, I'm just really struggling with my hands. Man. I'm like, oh, you should like try some of this stuff. And he um, was like, oh, like, wow, this like really helps. And like at that point, I was like, oh, well, like, I think I've given this out to like 10, 12 people, none of whom like know anything about it. And we were talking, we we're like, hold on. It's like, why don't we make something like this for rowers? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, there's, there's, a, there's a gap there. It's like this, it really changed my rowing life because I just began to be able to enjoy it so much more because I wasn't thinking about my hands. Yeah. And, and, and like it, it was Lenny who was like, yeah, it's like, why don't we actually do it? You know, and I was like, I'd been working in e-commerce at the time. I was like, yeah, I, was like, I know it's not that hard to set up a website. I know it's not that hard to set up distribution. Mm-hmm. It's like, we could actually do that. We have all these like really impressive friends in rowing who've gone and won all this stuff. And like Lenny himself had like done a lot of stuff uh, for New Zealand and also for GB. I was like, if we can have, we could have these guys help us market it. We have all this footage from all these training camps we've been on. We you can go to Yale and like to show people what it's like. We can do all these like funny interviews and stuff. It's like we we, we have a platform that we could use mm-hmm. to to like get it, get it out to people. And the ball starts rolling. There were the, the ideas. Ball starts rolling, and it was yeah. kind of us. It's like we were just like kind of like lonely and crazy. I think in, in lockdown, and we're like, oh, like imagine if we did this. Yeah, well, so sometimes what it takes is two guys to get in a room, have an idea, and and just like put something out into the world and yeah. make it happen, right? How do you think this podcast happened? <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> and and slowly we were just like, oh, like we could do that. And so I was like, okay, I'm gonna go and like start. I like had spoke to a few. In my job, I'd like spoken to a few chemical like formulators and stuff, and I was like looking around at a lot of like different products because the big problem was that it was too oily. Was one of the things I found that I couldn't really use it like before I rode mm-hmm. or anything. And I was like, dude, I want to find the best product, and then we can try and like make it even better with these. Um, uh, like when when we produce it ourselves, and so I did that. Like found a product, like kind of created this product. Uh, that's like made in the UK but with like beeswax and I never thought I was going to be an essential oils guy but there's essential oil oils <laughs> in it shea butter it's like it's really simple stuff mm-hmm. but it's like the, the formula that just like worked so well and it, it wasn't oily and that like, yeah so you I, can literally use it like before you go around yeah you like put a you put it on your hands and then like you know you know when your hands are all cracked up mm. And you can't open it, and like, yeah, and that's so shaking bad. someone's hand is like the worst thing yeah. you can possibly imagine. Oh, like yeah. this stuff, it's like you just like you stick it on, you put it in the cracks, and then suddenly, like two, three minutes later, you can open your hand like that, just freeze it, and up. just and it's completely free, and you can like go around like normal, and, and but it doesn't make it soft because if you if you moisture moisturize your hands with like normal moisturizer, it, it, for a start, it doesn't last for long, mm-hmm. but it also like will make your hands soft and the blisters will get even worse. Yeah, they'll keep toughening. I used to struggle yeah. on training camp a lot. I used I ended up by the end of my career just being really good with tape and just taping everything and like taping early. But then I mean, it would still get bad. And I would uh, I got a bapanthenum, which is like a baby nappy rash yeah. cream. It's really, really thick, really sticky. You can't use it like any other point of the day. But I would like at the end of the day, take all my tape off, like cover my hands in this thing and then let's go to sleep like this and just hope... <laughs> I hope that while yeah. I was asleep that it would like suck in and, and work. Exactly. Yeah, and no. people yeah, people have these crazy ideas. Like I have yeah. a friend who like puts his hands in rice before he sleeps. <laughs> and, and he like puts it worse. And like, like honestly, a- maybe it does. Like he, he would like put his hand he puts his hands in rice, in socks full of rice. 
Right. And then puts a like elastic band around it and then like sleeps like that. It's not an iPhone. He wakes up in the morning like covered in, <laughs> with rice like ingrained into his back. And I'm like, there is an easier way. Like, there's a better way you can just like yeah. do like use this stuff. Well, I used, to, I used to do something like really, really bad. And I just, moisturizers never worked for me for the exact same reason that you said. Like it would just, hands would get a softer, like it would get worse, not to the point. So I would be like, okay. I need to power through this. So I just used to put the alcohol sanitizer, hand sanitizer, just all Ooh. over that. So that would just burn, rip out. It would be the worst pain for like a minute. And I'd be like, well, it's going to get better. And then they'll just keep opening. But eventually, I've still got like calluses to this day. But that, that's how I that's how I dealt with listers. I, I, when they, I didn't, I, I wish I had a cream to use at that point. Yeah, because it dries it out as well. If it's like I remember using the new skin spray and it goes and, and like what it does, it contracts your hand because it dries it and it pulls together and then you go to sleep and you've got a crack and those cracks take weeks to heal. Yeah. But with it, it's like even if you get a crack, this like this will heal it pretty much overnight because you can sleep with your hand like that and it'll heal like that instead of instead of healing like that you need such flexibility and even with tape like you just go through so many different types of tape most tape will rub off or roll off within half a session and obviously like when your hands get bad like there's a performance it's detrimental to your performance absolutely like i've had races where i just couldn't i just couldn't work in the way i wanted to but like and then also like just in terms of recovery you know like you're trying to like chill out in the evening and your hands just on fire you're essentially like burning it's like a friction yeah. burn yeah. I, I remember my hands just feeling like the same sort of feeling as if i'd you know like grabbed a pan that was too hot it's like an actual like burn horrible burning sensation and then the other thing which sort of talked about earlier like in terms of like being able to just do this sport and have fun and like feel like a normal person i remember as a kid like especially when you're younger like you said self-conscious like not kind of being able to like hold my girlfriend's hand or like being not wanting to put your hands on the table anyway. great being, valentine's day yeah, yeah being <laughs> self-conscious and like those kind of things and like that's another thing like we obviously we sort of saw this product and thought it looked good and and like with you and your rowing as well it just seemed like a such an easy easy guest to have and speak to but like for me like thinking about it, it's like that actually is like another really cool aspect of it it's not just like a performance product it's actually helping you just do this sport and enjoy it because like you said like there is this like mentality. I also remember kind of compared to like pogies, like when it's cold, like you, especially at Leander, it was just like you were like, you were useless if you use pogies. Yeah, it's exactly. like, what? Because, I, because I want yeah. warm hands. Like <laughs> exactly. it's minus five. Like why? I don't understand. Like yeah. it's this yeah. weird attitude. There's literally like frozen water on my fucking collar as, as I'm literally just squaring and feathering. Hey. Yeah, yeah. Uh, dur during the session it's like crazy and also like if you have if you can't hold your blades properly like with bad technique mm. you can develop like some proper bad yeah, technique yeah, but yeah. how you're like oh, I'm ready yeah. on this yeah. like, yeah, when like you, your wrist will get like, yeah, exactly. on your, in your regular in your regular grip your blisters get too bad so then you change your grip but then that bit doesn't <laughs> normally touch your blade anyway so that'll rip up worse and then you're in the shower after and you're yeah, like, like, trying to wash your hair yeah. like, and the shampoo is getting in and it's just like it's oh, agony really yeah but yeah, it's like it's somewhere like this can actually like really improve the quality. They actually improve the quality of life. Yeah, for like a lot of especially young rowers, novice rowers. Like I'm sure there's hundreds of novice rowers who stop every year because they're like, well, I like rowing, but it's mm. not worth having hand. Like I like this is just as much. It doesn't ruin my hands. Yeah, yeah. And in terms of like, I, I think it's like a good kind of gift because of that. I think there's a big gift in the. Uh, there's a big gap in the rowing gift market where on the one hand you have like t-shirts which say like 
each sleep row repeat and like which like i'm sure not like everyone gets as a gift and like you never actually like end up wearing it it's like gimmicky stuff yeah it's like yeah. either really gimmicky stuff yeah, yeah like yeah. stroke side bow side socks yeah stroke side bow which are like fun and all but it's like yeah once you got those it's like they're, they're not actually like useful for anything unless you can't tell your <laughs> yeah. which i don't for a lot of roads it's probably not <laughs> you should just wear them the other way around yeah exactly exactly but like and then on the other side of that it's like rowing unis and so, like oakley's and that's what it's all so expensive yeah. it's crazy expensive but where we were thinking like what if you want to get your kid or your friend like something that's like something that will actually make a difference to their rowing and to their life and like this is like we sell these for like 12 12 pounds yeah, and they last like, you forever yeah exactly i've been using this like this one's gone for over a year Awesome. And it lasts. It lasts for ages. You can like share it around. It's like a pound a month or something. Like yeah, no exactly. And, yeah, like compare you that. Probably to charge it. more actually. I was like <laughs> get them now before I put the price. Yeah, in. the price is going up. Get um, ready. Get ready. Absolutely. But, uh, so how long did it, like in in the sort of process of like this idea to coming to market? What was that like? Time time wise. So it took a little bit of time. But I think we were like the the rest of that year. I was doing product research the whole time, and we were trying to think a bit about the branding. And we knew that we wanted to. Like we were both Yale, so we liked the blue and everything, and we we're thinking of names. And I was like, "Well, what's what's the kind of motion that makes that gives you blisters?" Yeah. And I was like, "Oh, it's the feather, the feathering square." Because we it's like we want something that's kind of classy to fit in with the old rowing kind of mm -hmm. aesthetic. And I I was like, "Oh, well, feather and square." It's like we could have the ampersand be like the feather and then you could have like an oar on the other side and i was like I, and like that came quite early as yeah. an idea and i was like oh that's that's great i that's really like it. that we could do we could make merch and stuff and of course in our, in our heads we're thinking all these like big grand plans which i like still i still have and now it's like now i have time because i was either working full-time or i was at uni which is why it's, it's been such a slow burner so i've just this been it's been so in the background mm. uh but it's like we're like yeah we can make it so it's like a, a fundraising thing for for rowing communities because we're both from like relatively untraditional rowing backgrounds and one of the things that appealed to me straight away was like right we're going to make this product which helps rowers we should make it something that like gives back to the clubs and to the communities and especially people from um like like from i guess non-typical rowing backgrounds right and like the the dream one day is to be able to like give whatever percent of money to like helping to develop diversity in rowing like a lot with like people of color and everything but also just people from different from different backgrounds that's because awesome it, it's like the whole like elitism in sport was something that like it is it is a huge barrier mm. and that like that is a goal one day to like that like to, to work with charities who can yeah there's a few out there we're going to speak to calf bishop soon who's yeah. running the the british rowing wing of um love rowing charity yeah yeah just getting it out there like because because yeah we all love rowing we think it's yeah. an awesome sport it's so fun there's there's the camaraderie and everything about it but like you said there are there are barriers it is expensive so now that's awesome that that's but, in the pipeline yeah. maybe but I, well, I don't mean to like yeah it's like so that, that that was a big part of it and it's like yeah that'd be a cool thing and it, it can make it a kind of a community thing but as well it was also the idea is like well we can do that and also we both have um like olympic aspirations mm -hmm. even even then we're like oh like we we, we could do this and maybe it can, it can support us while 
while we're on the team is something we can do like whilst training full time because you're generating content yeah whilst yeah also doing your job at that point and so it just seemed like a really like it all kind of fits into the together and yeah. I, like, I found uh, like we made this product that we love the, the branding all came together and i was like i oh, will make this instagram this instagram page so i started that up when i was back at yale and i started off with just posted like posting a few clips it's like the great thing was that we had loads of friends in rowing so basically someone like, like meander be like oh do you have any clips you rowing the women's team is like do you guys have uh do you have any, any stuff we can use so we stuck that up and it's it's like for the first like month we had like 300 follow like nice. and for like a long time it was like but it was pretty slow pretty mm-hmm. slow going and slowly i don't even remember really how it happened but i like i was like oh like i should do some more stuff that like people will engage in you know i think what i always wanted it to be was like something that people would engage with the, the page first because mm. it's like if if it was just a hand bomb Instagram page. I wouldn't follow that. That yeah. sounds boring as hell. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to follow that. And which I think is like, maybe a lot of people think it is. Like Matt Rowe the other day, he's like, you find like followers back. He's like, oh, I thought it was just like a hand bomb, like advertising <laughs> page. I know like, it's not. It's like, if anyone's actually like looked at our Instagram, it's like probably first and foremost, like a, a meme page. Yeah. Then like rowing content and like every now and then. Yeah. There's like a picture of like someone's hands getting better. But we're even in the car today. We're just laughing at one of the memes you posted on Instagram. It's it's, it's good content. I absolutely now. love it. Yeah, <laughs> but I was, gonna, I was having it. ideas. It's like, I, and I'm sure everyone has it. And so, if anyone has any ideas, like, please send me them because I will I will use them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, you know, when you're in a boat and you think of something, and then someone says something, and it makes me like, well, like, you you feel where a coach does a coach does something. And you're like, oh, that'd be funny. That reminds me of this meal. And it's like in my head, it was, like, it was like all connecting up. It's like, oh, I should just like put this down. Like we don't have that many followers, but it's like you think of one of the most, the best things about rowing for me growing up was Fat Ergos. I loved it. Oh, yeah. The Fat Ergos page. Yeah. Like it was one of the things I liked most when we were talking Fat Ergos, this, like McDanks, like yeah, yeah. Burger King, like all that stuff. It was, it was like, it was a, in rowing terms, like a cultural. Yeah. phenomenal like, I used to follow was, like buying ideas. all this stuff yeah and like I, I just thought it was so funny I like the whole like it's like it wasn't first it was like the epitome of like not taking rowing too seriously yeah. it was like yeah we're just gonna erg hard and not take rowing too seriously and I was like yes I don't like actual rowing that much but I do like messing around yeah, like, yeah. which is and it just like really like resonated with me and so it was like if I can try and like recreate something where it's like not taking something too seriously where it's just like making fun of like myself making fun of like other people in and just like keeping it very light-hearted i was like people we're not i don't think we'll ever be fat ergers but it's like like pe- people will get around it hopefully yeah, well that's the thing you can you don't have to like copy fat ergers in order to like also like produce like fantastic yeah. content out there for like other other rowers to like enjoy and like no it's absolutely great and it's like obviously it seems like you guys are having a lot of fun with it which is great because it's something that we need in rowing like you said it can be a bit elitist or like a little bit closed off a little bit secular i think is the word but again with doing those kinds of things and especially promoting the sport through the means of a product on social media eventually will draw more eyeballs onto the sport and hopefully open it up more and then the more people take it up the more people will have problem with blisters etc and then hopefully um that will drive a massive growth for you and like obviously like what you said that 
if you could have something that will help you support your career whilst you're like in the team like that's pretty much just the story of Rogia and how Tom took it on yeah 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 for me exactly the same thing it was like there's no way I can have a real job and do this so you know I need something that will work around it and yeah I built my whole business and career out of it and here we are you got the hat to prove it. <laughs> yeah, here we are filming filming uh, podcasts with it and stuff, yeah. you know, and uh, yeah, the work that I do. So yeah, no, and it all starts off small and that's just how it goes. And I think that's really interesting. And I, I think it's going to be an interesting story to follow. I'm excited to see that, you know, you guys have a bit more time to put into it, even though you're still full-time training. Like, it'd be really, really interesting to kind of see that journey and like look at other ways that, that athletes can kind of support themselves. Because obviously, until you are right at the top, you're you're not making you're not doing it for the money yeah um you know so any way that you can kind of support yourself is i think really interesting and just fun and exciting and something new and like i think like yeah rowing can get pretty stuffy and pretty boring there's a lot of stuff that's been the same way for a long time uh like when we talked to rory from all Mark one that was really interesting to see like the new ideas and stuff that he's been been bringing into the sport and like if we can help anyone kind of help bring those out then that's kind of what this was about so yeah yeah it's really cool it's really cool to hear i, I like the thought process and I, I agree like i think what you've done with the uh with the face with the uh social media is really fun and like we're enjoying it as well so. absolutely you've definitely taken like the right approach for it as well which is like if you are just putting advertisement on every post or on every like story some people might follow you back but then they will they will unfollow like pretty quickly of like every time they click on a story it's like buy this buy that etc mm -hmm. but like you're not trying to do this like you're just trying to also like show how rowing is fun and just help people enjoy it more yeah like it has to be a give and take i think it's like you do you don't want to just be like shoving something down people's throat and i realize it's like something like this it's, it's like a miracle cure for your hands it's like people are obviously going to be a bit skeptical so it's like yeah like people aren't going to just follow it for the sake of it it's like you you want to create something that people are interested in so i'm like i want to make something which i would be interested in because i like i i was I was never like a rowing nerd. I, I really never cared that much. I didn't think a lot of the rowing memes were funny because they were just like very, very basic. And they're like, yeah. I like, I guess, but which is why I like fire because it was different. And it was like, yeah, we're not taking this seriously. It's not the super cliche stuff. And I was like, oh, like, well, I'm, I'm having this, like, I thought that was funny. Like maybe some other people will find it funny. And then when they're in those situations, it's like when coach is shouting at you because you can't move your foot plate, like when they're in those foot when they're when they're in those situations and they're like oh this is like this is so terrible then you remember like oh actually everyone else feels this way yeah you know and it's, it's not actually that bad i can laugh about this later which you need to be able to do like you need to be able to laugh in this like when because th things do go wrong a lot of the time in rowing and if you can't laugh at them then you're gonna have a miserable time it's a miserable sport otherwise like, yeah, you're gonna yeah. have a good time it's like I don't think it's that, that fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's fun sport. But that's like, I definitely think that's key. Like the thing with the podcast, we, we spent a lot of time thinking what would people like? What, you know, how what, how would they like it? Would it like this, this format? Oh, lots of people say they want it short. Some people say it long. Should we, we swear? Yeah, things like that. And then we realized like, do you know what? Like all we can do is like produce content that yeah. we would like. Like if, if, it, if you're into it, like produce that because you can't ever please everyone. And whatever you create, some people are going to be annoyed with yeah. some people are going to like it so it's just gone down the path of just like would i like to listen to that yeah yeah that's kind of that's kind of how it's gone so. yeah and then i'll I'll have a look at that meme <laughs> like when coach is shouting at you because you can't move your foot player i'm like yes yeah. every time i like the g uh, is it gb road memes oh yeah they, those those hit a bit close to home sometimes but they're funny <laughs> yeah but uh, it is just no, it, just 
having having fun with it is just so yeah. so much more important. And like, there's a lot of people. Like, I see like we like we're gaining tons and tons of followers at the moment. It's like it just it just happens relatively naturally now, which is nice because at, at first I would have to go and like follow some people and then, yeah, like, yeah, they follow back and like it just like it takes a bit of time to build that momentum. But now it's like you see like I look back at a month and it's like we've got like twenty unfollowers. It's like I'm like I don't care, you know. It's like if they if they don't like this stuff, it's like I I don't care. It's because because it's become something that I do for me as yeah. well because I enjoy doing it. It's like I the the I posted something today. I was on the bike. I was just on the bike for an hour and a half, and I was like, oh, like huh. I thought of this the other day, like. I could make this and you just go and find it and you put it out there and, it's, and that's time where it's like you can still churn away the watts mm-hmm. but like my mind is going in and then suddenly like i've just done an hour and a half and i've also like made something which yeah. is where like a lot of the stuff comes from and i i like i just can't have my mind occupied with rowing that much which is ironic because it is like a rowing instagram account but if i'm like on the erg i like can't just zone out i have to be thinking about something so i'll like start an erg and be like okay by the time i'm finished with this i want to have like two ideas for posts that's good and then you get to the end and you feel like i was like oh i've, I've done this erg but i've also thought of this and, you know obviously you can't do anything like intense like that that's, you like yeah. switch on for that but it just it keeps me engaged and that goes back to the whole doing other stuff outside rowing anyway because i loved university because i could really because I was doing so much other stuff. Like I, I did enjoy studying. I, I love my degree. I did political science. Nice. Um, so I was super, super interested in it. And it just gave me something else to do. Like you can just turn off from rowing after that because mm. we're, we spend so much time doing it. And I love it when I'm there. I love being on the water. But when I get back, like the last thing I want to do is think more about it. Yeah, I think that's super important. It's interesting talking from rows from different generations. So like having talked to like Tim Foster, sort of the last generation of athletes where they still didn't have Cavisham, they kind of would still have a job or something else going on and they finished their rowing career and they had something to go to. And then contrast that to sort of Alex Partridge, who's maybe the first generation of guys that started and finished in Cavisham and and the way he described it was Jurgen turned up and put his beach towel down and that was that. And it and it very much was like you train there or you, do, or you don't and um i think it's really and i think for a while because that was quite new everyone thought this is amazing i don't have to do anything else i don't have to think about anything else i just get to do rowing and then you kind of realize that actually like that's going to leave like a huge gap in your life and if you're not thinking about anything else or you don't have anything else to think about it can kind of you can kind of go in that spiral if things aren't going well there's nothing else going on so i think like even just like like seeing it from the outside like from a from a mental health perspective just to look at it from that angle or just in general like longevity enjoyment the things that are going to help you be successful and for a long time and come out the other end and have something as well like this is just like a great thing so i think it's great for other people to to sort of see what's going on and like if they wanted to do the same thing like take some advice like grab an idea grab a product go with it or even just like you said just have an interest have something else going on because rowing isn't everything yeah 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 just, just put something out there. What have you got to lose? Mm-hmm. Like what? A few, few memes that didn't hit. You know, like you, you might as well, you might as well have a crap. Fuck you, might delete later. <laughs> I cry myself to sleep. Or... <laughs> I feel like I'm too old to know that one. Uh, well, uh, well, personally, like it's been, it's been super like fun hearing like the backstory of like how it all came about. Because obviously, like it is a Rome brand now. It's not like you go to a regatta and you don't see this product like you know in different stalls or athletes using it, etc. Like, go on Instagram you're bound to see Federer and Square. So you guys are doing an amazing job. And like, obviously 
it's I'm just personally like really really interested in like business and entrepreneurship mm-hmm. side of things. Mm-hmm. So like that's it's, it's just fantastic that like this podcast gives an opportunity to also like get a little bit of the backstory on that. But um, yeah, I just wanted to briefly ask you about the the Nets Cup and how that went. Oh, the Nets Cup that was honestly one of my favorite GB experiences that I've had so far, okay. which I really didn't expect. So I like finished up last i finished up 23s i went back to scotland got got my driver's test nice. uh, driver's license and i was just training on the erg up there like because i knew i wanted to come in fit i was like right this is this this is gonna be a big year for me i want to come in really fit so i was doing like 30 40k on the erg a day just i was just watching like lord of the rings movies <laughs> i was just sitting there and like watch one while i was erging like yeah. super low intensity and like I didn't have much to do. To Direct, director's hat? Oh no! I mean that'd be too much smile. Like, <laughs> uh, so I was, I was just doing that, and then Shep was like, "Oh yeah, there's this, there's this group going on for the for the next cut. Would you want to? If you, but at, at that point, I thought I was going to be too late to come down and, and be a part of it because I'd like chosen to be up in Scotland, so I could actually have some time at home. Because when you are in the USA, you really don't get a huge, mm-hmm. huge chance to be home. And it, like, sure, if you're if you're in England for the summer, you can go home a bit. If you're like running on here, but like for me, it's like a plane trip up to Aberdeen, so like, yeah. I can spend most of summer at home in England. And so I, like, I barely see my I don't see my parents anywhere near as much as I'd like to. So Shep's like, oh yeah, well just come and you can join in when when you come down. And so I, I, I really was not expecting to be a part of it, but I came down and there was this big group. It was like half. Oxford Brooks guys, half Leander guys, a lot of who I'd kind of known before. Sam Bannister is there, who's uh, like just missed out on the World Shout squad. And he's like this huge, like, yeah. I'd like never properly met him before, but I was like, he's a beast. And we we're sitting there. We had telemetry on the boat. I'd, I'd never used it before. Definitely don't use it wow. at Yale. Wow. So I was like, the first few strokes I got, and I'm just like trying to pull the oar off. Just like, <laughs> right. I'm like, I'm definitely not leaving this boat. But we, we had like a week or so of just splashing about at Longridge and we kind of got a lineup sorted which seemed to work. We went to Caversham, did a few. You just can't prepare for a 12.7K race, which is what the Nets Cup is for anyone that didn't know. And it was something that I like had been aware of when I was younger because a bunch of the other, like when they were GB development guys, like the XGL guys, I remember Cam Buckin doing it back in the day, and I, I watched it, and it was awful. And then the 2019 race was like very stuck in my head because it's when the Germans were ahead, and the guy passes out, and then the Dutch catch up, and then their guy passes out, and then the Germans row through, and their guy passes out again. And it's like I'd never seen a race like that. I was like, what? What is this? That's, yeah, yeah. It's not run, but it looks fun. And so, it's so, <laughs> but like the chance to go and do it, I was like, oh, this is crazy. It's like tech, like. Technically, is my first like GB senior vest. Like, I'm sure um, maybe the senior guys don't say it like that, but for me, it's, it's a big deal. And rowing with a bunch of guys who I think who have like performed well, but I think like you would look at us and we're a pretty motley crew of guys. Mm. Like, we're most like not particularly tall guys, and we're going and we're racing the German eight, which had just qualified for the Olympics. Most of the US, um, like, world championship eight and it's like the deutschland actor which like growing up like you hear all about yeah, yeah. oh wow it's like those guys like they're, they're pros you know and we're just this like bunch of scrubs 
we're just chef's army you know like we're, <laughs> we're here for a good time but like we had such a good time on the trip we were just like throw throwing chat around really like we like probably never like again like we didn't take ourselves too seriously and like maybe there's a little bit it's like oh yeah we've got a point to prove like we are good enough potentially like, if we were from another country we would have a chance to go to the olympics which like realistically most of us are not going to have a chance to do like we have to be very realistic with ourselves and we're going to push ourselves and get as close to the senior team as we can but like we're under no delusion yeah, that yeah. we're probably not going to go to this olympics but we're like but we can show here that like we are good enough we are good enough absolutely and it's a great yeah. target to have yeah so it was it was a great opportunity to do that and the race itself the race itself was horrendous but I'm not sure. Like I say, the first four or five k of it was like I was like, "This is going to be the hardest thing I've ever done," because we've done a Yale. We have Harvard Yale, which is like a four mile race you do after only doing sprint work for two k season. So like that's pretty tough going going and doing that. And like, but like, so we we started off and the Germans shoot out the front. Like they're definitely much more punchy than us. They've been prepping for starts and everything. The Americans are really like, God, you can hear them hauling on it and SS and they like move for us and we're just like hanging on, hanging on. But we felt pretty good. We had the telemetry as well. And everyone was like, oh, what, why are you doing that? That's sort of like yeah, yeah. extra weight. You don't want that. But so we could just see our watts. We could just like sit on that and kind of maintain. And I could hear that they were all like working really hard. Even when the, like the Germans had clear water at one point, probably like two and a bit K in. And they were they were going around the bend, and we were just trying to hold them, trying to hold them. And then slowly we started. We like walked through the Americans, and we started like creeping on the Germans. At that point, Will uh, Denizeri, who's it was the Cox, he's at Oxford now. He was he, he coxed it incredibly. Like, we were all like amazed at him, really, uh, because he we were level maybe a bit behind the Germans. And he was like, right guys, like I know this sounds crazy, but we're going to go down to. And we're like, yeah, that does sound like that's a terrible idea. Like, we don't want to do that. But he's like, okay, we're going to do it ready now. And and we did it. We dropped down two. And it just meant we were like much looser, much more efficient. And so we could move through and we could like keep on moving, mm. uh, which was crazy. But at that point in the race, Will was like, great guys, let's fork in, only 8K to go. And I was like, I remember in my head, because at that point, things hadn't cooled down at all we were still working as hard as we could to get through the americans to get through the germans and so it felt like we'd just done a 2k and kept going and in your head you're like we're gonna someone's gonna break we're gonna get through we're either gonna be like in second or third and like hunting to try and catch someone down but but like no you're like neck and neck so it's like i'm not gonna yeah i'm not gonna let off Mm. i'm not gonna let off now but we like i just remember thinking like how it feels when you sit down and like set up a 30 rate 20 i'm like that is what this is yeah now like that is a long way and i feel like i do at the end of a 2k and like thankfully it like started to spread out a little bit after that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like it was crazy but that whole event is amazing i've never raced in front of that many people the during like they were incredible there were people that all the way along the course yeah. watching there were people apparently few million people in germany watch it on tv nice and it's just like us like a, a bunch of like lads from brooks and leander who just like <laughs> yeah and people like people wanted our signatures and everything after and we're taking pictures with us and it's funny because i'm talking to one of the guys he was like i was like stacking shelves and waitrose like three days ago and these kids think i'm like 
a sports like superstar, which yeah. is which is crazy. So it was it was fun to pretend that we're a big deal, uh, you know. Had the same say exact same sense of it. Yeah, rowing in Germany is pretty big anyway. But like, did you have guys waiting in your lobby? We had like the autograph hunters in the yeah. lobby and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is so, and the German were sitting there is like signing picture after picture. And I'm like, this is crazy. Yeah, you know? and like we we're. There's this ergo where you go, you go and you do 500 meters on the stage, and there's like hundreds of people all cheering, and like, and then you go off the and you're like high fiving people, and it's like, in the, like especially in Scotland, like people don't, people don't care about rowing yeah. at all, you know. It's like, I, I go home for Christmas, my, my uncle's like, how's the how's the kayaking going, you know? Like, like, <laughs> people don't care, like, and so I'm like, and now we're here, like we're getting paid to do this, like it's, awesome. it's amazing. Like I'll go back next year if they'll have it. Yeah, I loved it. <laughs> that's sweet so, yeah it's good and bad so the race is horrific but everything else around it like makes it worth oh, it so funny yeah. but before the 500 meter we were like like you go to this big fancy dinner and there's all these speeches in german and they're bringing out food and like like booze and stuff as well we're like probably shouldn't be drinking this but it's like I remember it was like smoked salmon and some kind of like raw fish like yeah starter and we were starving because it was like the the erg race was in between the starter and the main course and so we're like eating like plate after plate of this thing and then so they're like right and now time for the erg and so we all like march out getting our unis and we're like doing like jumping jacks like trying to like get ready for this erg and these huge germans are like, what is going on and you go and you're sitting on the star and it's like you just taste the fish <laughs> and i'm like am i gonna throw up and all these poor little german kids like standing in the front row Oh, that feels tactical it feels like someone's done that on purpose yeah like, make sure you give the, the brits lots yeah. of fish <laughs> they knew we were greedy yeah yeah so what did you get for the 500 did you improve on the one in Caversham? a little bit i actually went like maybe slightly quicker i think i went like 118 flat or something which was because they averaged out the 500 meter like between everyone so i was like going for longer than 500 meters so i was like blowing by the end and there's a video oh, yeah. like you see the video, my arms are like, like I worked badly anyway. It was like an ugly, ugly sight. You were sending it from what I could tell. Yeah. No, I was like, I, I like sprint stuff, but I was like yeah. really hanging on. I could feel the fish like rising, <laughs> rising up in my throat. So it's like, we did it. And then the Germans go and they went like two splits quicker than I was like, <laughs> But we're like, yeah, we're, we're a long distance crew. We're a long distance crew. That's it. I guess, I guess we were in the end. Beat them in the one that counts. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So I've just got some quick fire on questions to ask you. Um, what are some of your favorite training or racing venues that you went to during your own career? For Razy is probably my favorite racing place that I've been to. You got the mountains all around. That was gorgeous. The water was beautiful and blue. Um, Strathfield Park came to my mind, but that's definitely not my favorite place. Oh, what other places? I was lucky enough to go to Tokyo in juniors, which was incredible. Oh, yeah. Again, like the run wasn't that good, but but it was in, it was, it's crazy to be in. Like again, like pretend pretend we were going to be at the Olympics, you know? <laughs> like uh, that was fun. Like that was an amazing place. Awesome, awesome. So, what are some of your favorite races that you'd like to repeat again when you're like sixty or seventy? Like some regattas. Hmm. I'll probably be a bit old for the uh, the old hands are cut. So, like if I could take if I could take all that whole experience and not have to do the actual race, then I'd I'd probably go with that. But I'll give you that because of the fish, you get a free pass. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think like there were fun races up in Scotland, 
in the, like Aberdeen Sprint Regatta. <laughs> like oh, yeah. Stuff like that, just going and tearing it up. And then you go and have a pie, pie at Aberdeen Boat Club after. And it was just like, pie of just like messing around. You know, that's got to be one of the best ones. Like, Head of the Trials is a is an incredible race. We're going with Leander yeah. this year. And I, I've come second twice. So I'm, I really want to win this year. Awesome. I love how many people, when asked that question, like go back to their roots and we'll talk about like a, one of their first races or where they race from home. And I go, that's awesome. I love that. Um, I've got a question. So I normally ask this to people more, more towards the end of their career. I would say like, um, when, if you could travel back in time to yourself, uh, the age you were, when you really first caught the bug for rowing, what advice would you give them? And I guess that applies for you. You're a little, you're far, far enough along that you've learned some lessons that you could give that kid. Oh, there's definitely a lot I could learn. I think it would be like, don't take it too seriously. Like trust that, instinct to to try and enjoy it and really enjoy the moments around it because that's what you remember most like i'm sure any, anyone listening to this is road bike thinks back through a race and they really can't remember anything of it but i remember the minibus rides down yeah. i remember the minibus breaking down and like the gains that we made up when we were juniors to try and do that and be appreciative of that and i, I would say know that rowing can change your life because it because it did for me i mean like it sounds crazy to say but it's like otherwise i'd probably be like i was a like small town aberdeen boy i never thought i'd go to yale i never thought i'd get a chance to represent my country go to germany and sign autographs you know yeah like, yeah I, that like it is that it's fine for it to be your life as well for it to be a big part of your life as long as you have other things like don't don't be afraid of being a rowing guy. I love that. I yeah, love that. This is absolutely nice. gold advice. Yeah, really good advice. One last question. Who are some of your rowing idols or people you look up to, you've looked up to? Try not to say anything too embarrassing. I think like the the guy the gen, kind of generation above me of, of Yale rowing guys were like they were heroes of people when I was like juniors, you know, yeah, yeah. like I'd like, I was lucky enough to be able to meet a lot of them. And like, those guys are like, they're what I want to be. They're in the senior team now. They're cool. They still have a good time with it. Um, so they're guys who I kind of like try and aspire to be like, but I remember like, Mo, most be, he, for me, was always like, like he has to be, he has yeah. to be up there. And then also like Alan Sinclair was someone from a small Scottish club who had, who had done it. Yeah, and so he was always someone I was like legend. Like, yeah, that is incredible. If I've been to, we went to training camp in Inverness. It was like it's nice, but it's like it's in the middle of nowhere. I was like, if if he can do it, like maybe I maybe I could one day. I think that's like one of the things that when I first started to believe, and then I like got to, I got to meet him at Henley um, the other, day, and he's like, oh, he's just like a kind of like normal guy. You know? Yeah, like, and he's he's just he's always been like really nice as well he's gonna love when he this is the second time he's uh his name has popped up in uh in people who've looked up to him so yeah i figured i had to go and like get get some of the scottish rap <laughs> yeah. we just uh i was messaging him today we were at cavisham yeah uh, I, I don't know if you heard uh we were talking to him he's talking about the ski egg that he had to yeah die on and i made a little, i was a little story from cavisham and he, he's like screenshot he's like there it is that's that's the that's the ski egg that i you know i had to like die on that summer so uh, i made a little video of him like we got peter i'll give it whip it up and the noise and stuff <laughs> i was listening to that episode and i was sitting in i was erging 
and I was like looking at that exact like skier when I was doing it. And I was, he was like, oh, I was like, I had to do the skier as well. And like right literally before I went down to do that erg, there was like a wall with lots of newspapers and pictures on oh, like, near yeah. the dorm room here. And there was a picture of like, it was like Satch and like Alice Claire was like in the wheelchair. And I was like, oh, like that's weird. Like, why is he in a wheelchair? And of course he goes and he talks all about it. I'm like, oh, that makes, yeah, yeah. makes a lot of sense. It's kind of lots Connecting the there. dots. Yeah, it's fun. Um, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Listen, Miles, this has been absolutely awesome. Like, I've, I've absolutely enjoyed the stories and uh, the advice that you've shared, and I, I just really love rowing. So it's been great to like hear about like you talking about those those races that you have, the challenges that you've had to like go through, but like also the journey. And like, honestly, it's it's been really fun like watching your career like from the sidelines and like, just seeing how you get on. So all I can say is that I wish you all the best for the future and uh, good luck ahead of the chance. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast and at some point we're hoping to have you on again. Amazing, yeah. Hasn't, hasn't really felt like a podcast. It felt just like a chat, but no, thank you for having me. I know I'm not as, yeah, not as star-studded as a lot of your guests, but it's like, uh, no. just to talk about run. Oh, absolutely. Like, we want to come all different angles and I think, uh, yeah, it's awesome what you've done so far and I'm super excited to to see what comes next, especially now you're at Leander, obviously, at our club. So, um, but no, it's cool. It's been really cool also to hear about, about the business and uh, how that works and like hopefully for other people who are having similar ideas to have a little insight into like how it works and some of the theory behind it and what you can achieve even when you're really busy doing lots of other things so yeah if there's anything we can do to help like certainly have you on in a uh, uh, again uh, maybe talk about it again or get you on with your, with your business partner Lenny as well. well we'll see what we can do but yeah yeah maybe do some merge collab yeah let's do it let's yeah, do it. yeah that'd be sick awesome so I guess for today's episode that's everything so on that note easy there cue the music